survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 63 and in this edition we actually venture into Raccoon City for the first time, canonically speaking. As it turns 25 years old, this edition of the podcast is all about 1998's Resident Evil 2. My name is Cy and joining me on the panel this week, Keycards, Darkrooms and Birkins, it's Kelsey aka KDB. Hello. Kitted up in a big trench coat and leather gloves and intent on his mission, try to come up with any biased opinions on this game, it's Firebutton Steve Vallance. Hi everybody. There is perhaps no more appropriate show to remind everyone to kindly please praise them both. From Steamforge Games, it's Sherwin Matthews. And they locked themselves in the first Ace Spray dungeon and refused to come out until we did an episode on RE2, it's Michael Burger Time Early. I'm glad that you took me up on my offer. <laughs> how, Every episode how, of First Aid Spray is how, sorry. sorry, just to throw in there, how how is it that none of us were they hadn't noticed anything was wrong until you know they'd done something or other? Time City was festive. I was gonna do a tour, yeah. What are you doing here? Exactly. I was assuming that yeah, there'd be a kendo reference in there. No, my missed, one of my working intros window. was uh Nobody's going to leave my show. Everyone's going to podcast. So, are you crazy? The entire city is still infested with zombies. Every episode of First Aid Spray is recorded live on our Discord server. So join now to hear the show early and unedited, and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find a link to the server as well as all of our social media profiles at our website, fasprayPod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Spray going. So why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page? Tiers begin at just one dollar a month. Head over to patreoncom pod for a full list and a chance to create bonus First Aid Spray content. Let's keep housekeeping as brief as possible. Uh, but there has been a influx of new content in the last couple of weeks for patrons. So you guys are living it up right now. The latest episode of Tear Death Experience is out where Steve Sherwin and I ranked all of the canonical tyrants in the series. So if you liked the Hunter episode that we did a while back, you'll love this one. It was a good time indeed. We have a new bonus episode out on, of all things, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 for the Mega Drive slash Genesis. Uh, probably the furthest back we've gone in terms of bonus episodes and definitely the most far removed from Resident Evil but it was a wonderful time and you can find out who on the panel had never played Sonic 2 before and also we have new episodes of Memory Card Lane for patrons you can now check out my guest appearance alongside Steve and Jordan on MCL talking about Croc for the PS1 who remembers Croc everyone remembers Croc but is it any good Um, And publicly, the new Memory Card Lane episode that just dropped today as of recording is The Simpsons' Bart's Nightmare. Yes, talking about The Simpsons on First Aid Spray. That's a thing that happened. Uh, That's everything from us. Steve, would you like to roll us into the Biohazard News? Our first story. Glame Flavor produces a limited run of first aid spray drinks. <laughs> that might be a typo on my half, I expect. Game <laughs> uh, Flavor? It says Glame Flavor. Yeah, I, I, think that was, I think that was a me. Yeah, Game Flavor, quite obviously. Uh, yeah, this uh, we, we were always keen to talk... It seems we are always keen to talk about Resident Evil merchandise because some of it's so bad. Um, and then this comes along, a limited edition... Quite literally, they're only making like 400 or something of these, or... Sorry, 4,000 of these. Um, and it's a a box that looks like the item box, and it's full of first aid spray cans that are full of drink, m- mint cucumber flavor, apparently. Um, yeah. Sounds terrible. Um, and ink ribbons with um, drink powder in them. 
It's, I mean, it looks cool. Uh, it will set you back a hefty 200 euros, which is pretty stupid. For the standard. Uh, from where I'm coming from. That, yeah, that is just for the standard. Uh, the limited edition is, oh, I don't know, something like four times the price of that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Kelsey, what do you make of this? Uh, it looks fantastic, I have to say. Like the presentation of it, the box and the ink ribbons and stuff looks amazing. But for that collector's set, it's like nine hundred dollars. Yeah, so yeah. I will never ever have this. And the flavour sounds horrible as well. So, um, <laughs> and then it says also unique NFTs that are metaverse ready. Ooh, so pass. Oh, oh, ouch. Um, yeah. So no thanks. <laughs> so this actually reminds me of uh, a recent conversation I had with somebody. Um, who was drinking the Resident Evil 3 flavored G Fuel powder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is lemon iced tea for some reason. Okay. <laughs> like, I was blown away by it. No, she, she really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, it was weird that the Resident Evil flavor was lemon. And there's a second time where I was like, that's a weird flavor for a Resident Evil product. I mean, I get it. Iced tea. T-virus, you know? It's a stretch, but I'll allow it. I'll certainly... It sounds more enjoyable than cucumber mint water. Uh, Cucumber (sighs) lime mint is actually technically what it is. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. Like I've said before, it seems like a bit silly that I don't have some kind of canned first aid spray on my shelf. But uh, yeah, at this price, uh, and including an NFT, is certain to drive me away. Not a fan of this. Uh, Steve, what do you reckon? Uh, I'm not a fan of crypto, and as much as I consume these carbonated nightmare drinks on the daily, like, you know, <laughs> cucumber, you, you, you lost me there. Uh, so, yeah, at, at that price, no. Aesthetically, like everyone else said, yeah, it looks kind of neat, but then there's that so many drawbacks, like, that's the not thing. to mention the price. Is you're, you're literally not buying it to drink the beverage. You're buying it because it's a first aid spray can. Yeah. 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 It's got Etsy or something, right? Surely someone's oh, done something really nice. 100%. You, yeah, you get something way better that someone's put time, actual time and effort into. It could actually know, like be a like a medical person. spray. <laughs> yeah. Sherwin, any interest in uh, extortionate cans of first aid spray? I genuinely thought NFTs were extinct by now. Perhaps that was wishful thinking. <laughs> Give it time. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think I'll be uh, saving my pennies on that one. <laughs> I think that's the wise choice. Uh, we have also one tiny other headline that might not be worth getting into, but Steve, we might as well shout it out. Hold the phone, everybody. <laughs> like, get really excited. K9 from Resident Evil Village Who? is in our reverse. Come on! Standing <laughs> ovation. I, I've, I, is it, am I correct to understand that the only characters that have been added to that particular game are... Um, the Hound Wolf Squad members, yes. Every single one of them is now in the game, as predicted. Um, and mm. nothing else is in the game, basically. So, so <laughs> again, I sit here fun. and I ask, like, who? Yeah. Um, exactly. That's the right answer. The right answer. Um, I think there might have been a couple more skins added with this, but I'm not completely sure. I did boot it up and have a quid, had a quick look, but I've not jumped into a game. Why would I do that to you, myself? You can now play as RE3-style Jill... And shirtless Jack Baker. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Annihilation is through the roof. Oh, God, I got the vapors right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that sounds dumb. I'm trying to uh, subtly look up the Steam charts for this, as James isn't here yeah. to do it for us. I, um, um, and I see will... how many people are playing. 
I will say this, though, that um, the one time I played that game was with all of you, and I had an absolute blast doing it. So the game yeah. is not unfun to its own credit. <laughs> I am not, I'm not against the idea of Community Nights, where we play something of that, or Resistance, or anything, but my god, this has been such a, a missed target kind of thing. There were so, so much opportunities in scope for this, and it's just been like a, a full-on bit-the-shed moment. You know, it's not good. Mm. As an update, as of six minutes ago, 50 people playing our reverse, <laughs> uh, a title which is out, has been out two and a half months. So, yeah, it's going great. <laughs> like the week of an update, 50 people playing on, on PC. Good stuff. Cool. Oh, well, that'll do it for news then, I guess. Let's roll right into the long-awaited Resident Evil 2 1998 podcast. And now, reading the file, Operation Reports from Resident Evil 2 1998, in character as David Ford, Brian C. Sundin, who you can find on Fiverr as B. Sundin. Operation Report, September 26th. The Raccoon Police Department was unexpectedly attacked by zombies. Many have been injured, even more were killed. During the attack, our communications equipment was destroyed and we no longer have contact with the outside. We have decided to carry out an operation with the intent of rescuing any possible survivors, as well as to prevent this disaster from spreading beyond Raccoon City. The details of the operation are as follows. Security of armaments and ammunition. Chief Irons has voiced concern regarding the issue of terrorism due to a series of recent unresolved incidents. On the very day before the zombies attack, he made the decision to relocate all weapons to scattered intervals throughout the building as a temporary measure to prevent their possible seizure. Unfortunately, this decision made it extremely difficult for us to locate all ammunition caches. It has become our top priority to recover these scattered munitions. To unlock the weapon storage, as stated earlier, it will be extremely difficult to secure all the ammunition. However, a considerable supply still remains in the underground weapon storage. Unfortunately, the person in charge of the card key used to access the weapon storage is missing, and we've been unable to locate the key. One of the breakers went down during the battle, and the electronic locks are not functioning in certain areas. It has become a top priority to restore the power in the power room and secure those locks. Recorder, David Ford. Where to begin with this episode? We've been a podcast now for four plus years, and we haven't talked about this game at length. Uh, I don't know if I've been putting it off because I'm scared to talk about it because it seems like such a big deal. Um, but also, it was just kind of like, we can keep just pumping out other content and save some of these big hitters till later. Um, but as of the time of recording... We are closing in on the 25th anniversary of Resident Evil 2. In fact, if you are listening to this on the day of release, happy 25th birthday, Resident Evil 2. Uh, <gasps> you know, can't quite believe that. So, of course, we have to all start with our earliest memories of the first ever sequel to Resident Evil. Uh, Showin, what was your first reactions to Resident Evil 2 back in the day? I mean, obviously, we'll take 1.5 out of it, I guess, right? Because otherwise, yeah, that's, a, uh, otherwise that's yeah. a thing. Um, I first encountered Resident Evil 2. I didn't realise it had been released. 
Uh, I'm that much of a fan mm. that having loved the first game, uh, actually seen stuff of 1.5 and getting super ex- what became 1.5 and getting super excited about it. I didn't even realise the actual game had been released, and uh, I was at a party. Uh, one of my friends literally said, "Hey, I've got Resident Evil 2," and that was all that anyone saw of me at the party as I disappeared upstairs <laughs> to go and sit in a lonely bedroom and play the shit out of that game until. I think, what, about four in the morning? Uh, at which point I realised that everyone else had left the party, my friend had fallen asleep, and then I just kept on going for another two hours. So, yeah. Um, time well spent. Uh, time extremely well spent. I Since then, I mean, obviously I've played it about a thousand times. Um, yeah, I think, for me, the, it was... Resident Evil 2, if you want a sort of rough first take, was it, it, was, it wasn't just... A continuation of a game that I'd fallen in love with, i.e., Resident Evil. It was something where I played it, and at every every sort of step along the way, every moment, I, yeah, whether it be the intro section in the streets, whether it be getting to the police station, whether it be, you know, seeing some of the cutscenes and realizing how many characters are running around, other bits and pieces. Every step, I mm. just sat there and found myself going, "This is just getting better and better and better." Um, and I'm I'm going to deliberately keep it there. Because I know everyone else is going to want to talk about their stuff, and I don't want to overlap. So, so that's that. Uh, to that point, uh, Steve, what was your first exposure to Resi Two? Uh, first was like I think a PlayStation magazine that was using at the time one point five images, and then the director's cut disc that came with yeah yeah the director's cut disc which ends with Ada in the mm. uh, the Star's office, and I literally like, I must have wore that disc to death playing it over and over and over up until PlayStation Magazine this has got to be pre-launch or near launch and they released the is it the 10 minute demo disc mm-hmm. uh, and I, I was noticing this is different you can't go straight to the bus you've got to go through the basketball court and everything <laughs> uh, and yeah full on hype train just buying all the magazines and then the second it releases bang mum can I have this it's 15 Stephen I'll be good <laughs> and uh, yeah Steve used all his pocket money bought it they proceeded to like smash it for the next week. It was it was definitely a euphoric time. Uh, so yes, needless to say, I was hyped when following it up from its release or up until its release, uh, and it's not let me down. Yeah, I I am in a weird position where I've, I've told bits of this story before because Resident Evil Two is the first Resident Evil game I ever played, um, so I didn't have the context there, but. It's kind of a weird scramble of things because I certainly remember playing a PC demo that came with the magazine and <coughs> enjoy enjoying it aesthetically and stuff like that. I loved the tone and I was really into monsters and stuff like that as a kid, but just really struggling with the controls, especially trying to use a keyboard to play it as well was not my forte. Um, and then I also wound up with the PlayStation version. I don't know if that's because I asked for it or what. But I imagine I probably played the demo and just like, even though I could barely get anywhere with it, I was just really interested and constantly looking it up and wanted to know what was around the next corner. Um, so yeah, I probably was just like, you know what, I do actually want to play this game proper. Maybe I'll fare better on the PlayStation. I'm not sure what happened, but yeah, it's been around since day dot for me. It's one of the, you know, we talked about doing a Sonic episode recently, but this is just, you know, just as informative slightly later on, but certainly... Um, I would still call it like a childhood game for me. So yes, heavy, heavy nostalgia with this one. Um, Kelsey, what was your first experience with RE2? Uh, very similar. I also played the demo that came with Director's Cut and 
so at the time of launch for re2 like i was completely obsessed with resident evil as it was and i remember when it came out um i couldn't get it because i didn't have my own money so we rented <laughs> it from like the nearest video shop that also had games and I remember it being unavailable for ages. And I've told this story before that I actually read a walkthrough for the game, like cover to cover, before I even played the full game, mm. which I know <laughs> sounds just like heresy. But no, at the time for me, that was, I wanted to just kind of like soak up the game. And that was the only <clears> way I could because I couldn't get my hands on it. Uh, but then when we eventually did rent it, like got it, like rented it like five or six times. Um, and then not long after that, I got my PlayStation chipped and a friend of the family gave me a like a completely legitimate copy of Resident Evil 2 and that was my copy for like a year or so and it was just it was pretty much it wasn't the only thing I played but I just played it so much those first couple of years um fell in love with it you know it was the talk of the playground kind of like what mm -hmm. Steve said and I remember being the person in my village that people would come round to with their memory cards because I was kind of considered like the RE2 pro so if they were stuck <laughs> they would come around mine and I would help them um, and yeah and I remember feeling incredibly cool because I would have been like 12 I suppose and then like all the bigger boys in the village like all the teenagers would be coming around to mine to bring their memory cards and help them with RE2 so yeah I've been there since the beginning as well <laughs> was already obsessed with Resident Evil 1 and then this yeah just increased my love exponentially and burger what's your re2 story i actually did a deep dive on this one um because i i was wondering if i was conflating two memories together um and i think resident evil 2 may be the first time i'd ever seen a game uh played on the playstation mm. um because i definitely remember being at someone's house and seeing it and being like, oh, that's a PlayStation. I'd never seen one before. And um, I asked about it. And they, they, the, the two older teenager, um, I must have been 12 or something. I was really young. Uh, were like really excited to talk about it. And they really wanted me to play Resident Evil. Um, it's that sort of vibe that like I get now when I recommend somebody uh, a game. Where I'm like, oh, I want you, you know, as everybody in this call is certain, uh, they've heard me talk about Control before. Um, and like, I remember just being so blown away, uh, like navigating the world the way it did just, it, it removed the, the survival horror from the experience for me. Cause it was the first, like if uh, the memories is triggering, it's, it's one of the first times I remember navigating a 3d plane, um, with voice acting in a video game. Right. Yeah. Same. Um, was wild. And, and I never heard of it before. Um, and I played it the one time. I couldn't save. So we played it all night. But you know, we kept dying and having to start over. Um, and so we didn't get super duper far as we were playing it. But uh, we um, had a great time. Because they didn't have a memory card. That was the thing. They didn't have a memory card. So they just played games. And like a, I now can't fa fathom. Right. Like trying to play a game yeah. that way. Uh, but no, blew me. Obviously, it kindled my love to the point when um, I got my PlayStation Resident Evil 3. Ended up being one of the only games I had. Uh, so I played the out of that one. No, I loved it. It was a great time. So, 
Um, of course, the original game, PlayStation, uh, launched in January of 1998 to ridiculous reviews across the board. CVG gave it five out of, uh, well, five out of five. Um, Famitsu, 37 out of 40. IGN gave it 9.3 out of 10. A lot of the PlayStation magazines were giving it five out of five, nine out of 10, so on and so forth. Sales wise, um, it was one of the best selling PlayStation games of 1998. Um, it's probably one of the best selling PlayStation games full stop i would expect uh yeah and then of course it's launched since then on pc smushed down onto the n64 it's also on dreamcast gamecube and uh we have obviously had the remake but focusing on the original game we're going to try and go through and try and sum up our thoughts and feelings on this game let's start with gameplay i suppose um i think in a way possibly uh, the most simple thing to talk about because for me re2 as a game i mean it's clearly not like a big reinvention this is all about refinement over yeah. over the original resident evil isn't it so uh mm. yeah so it's it's a lot about you know just making things more comfortable better. controls just feel yeah. better mm. auto aim kind of comes as standard the ui the inventory all that stuff is better um kelsey how do you feel about how re2 plays uh, so, something I hear a lot these days from people who didn't play these games when they came out, and I mean like RE1, 2, and 3, is they say that they're really awkward to play. And, like, not just in regards to tank controls, but even with, you know, things that we're all used to, like item boxes and typewriters and backtracking and things like that. Going and in and out of the menu to reload. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. And, yeah. and like, I get that, and I, I can appreciate that perspective that it might feel clunky and frustrating to play. But for me, you know, it's just the opposite. Because this this game and these games were like my learning to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. So I played them when I was really young. And I played and this style of games as they first arrived, as the technology was first arriving. So, I, you know, it's not a problem for me. And I got used to it. So I don't think it's clunky to play. And, you know, I've heard similar complaints about signalis which i've banged on about but again i'm just used to it i'm used to these games so mm -hmm. you know i'm not going to do a survival horror deep dive i think the game nails that stuff for yeah. the most part mm -hmm. even if it does just dial up and focus on the action more than you know more than that with survival horror kind of being second for re2 but i do love the gameplay oh um, i don't know that i agree with that <clears throat> i think um you know the variety of weapons enemies just so much diversity there it never really feels dull um, right from the get-go, it throws you right into it, surrounded by zombies straight away, which is just, you know, after being so obsessed with RE1, that was like a masterstroke for upping the ante for gameplay mm -hmm. and oh, expectations yeah. of what this game would mm -hmm. be to just be as it starts in the game. You're surrounded by zombies. So, yeah, the gameplay for me, I do love. Um, it never feels like it strays from the realms of reality as well. It, it always feels grounded and mm. this is why you know we talked about shadows of rose a little while back where i said i no longer felt like i was playing resident evil and because that takes its feet off the ground whereas with yeah. something like re2 everything is in the world it's locked and it fits and even things even with like the custom magnum and the custom shotgun and the minigun mm -hmm. it just feels like all this weaponry like i this is stuff that i could wield in the middle of this situation so it just made the gameplay all that kind of more, I suppose, immersive for me. Um, love the depth of multiple scenarios and 
different endings. It's just the the package. You know, it's basically four games if you want to be generous. Yeah, um, absolutely. Not including fourth survivor mode as well. So yeah, so much. There's just so much content there. Like for a game released at this time, there's Yeah, sorry. No, no, it's it's fine. It's just it and it was two discs, you know, that was a big deal (laughs) back at the time. The package was insane. And I think you know, this it like you said, site's very it is almost like the simplest thing to talk about. It's just refining it and amping up everything mm-hmm. from RE1 in brilliant ways. Um, if I wanted to maybe pick something that I was, you know, trying to balance this out, I could maybe say the puzzles are sort of like fine. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them are like put an item in this slot or move this and move that, which <laughs> I think at the time of the re- release felt quite challenging. But maybe these days you could say the puzzles have kind of, they pale in comparison to things we get. I mentioned Signalis again and Scorn. So, and that's just me trying to look at gameplay as a whole and say, oh, all this stuff's really good. Oh, maybe the puzzles are something I wouldn't shout about. But I think the <laughs> overall experience, you, you know, enemies, gunplay, finding your way through that maze, it's just, yeah, I mm. love it. There's so much depth to it and, yeah, incredible gameplay package. I actually, you've already hit on my, like, one criticism of the game, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the relative lack of puzzles. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I can see what you're saying, but also, compared to RE1, it's a a step down in that. And I think Mm -hmm. that's intentional. Like, this is designed with a more action focus and sort of pacier and that kind of stuff, which we'll obviously get to. But the puzzles, most of them are kind of, crap i guess they're so simple. <laughs> like they're really simple and i see i wouldn't necessarily say that it detracts from the game for me but you know if i was looking for Not a criticism to. that would certainly be it the only thing that i don't like sometimes uh, and i actually sadly can't think of any examples off the top of my head but there were a couple of times on the playthrough that i did this week in preparation um there were a couple of moments where i was like if i didn't know that i needed to examine this specific spot there are a couple of things where I was like, I feel like if I was playing this for the first time, I'd be running around in circles trying to find this key item or whatever, because sometimes stuff does. Yeah. So I think the um, evidence locker room is mm-hmm. a prime example of that, where it's like you are just kind of running around pressing X, hoping to find uh, an important key item. But mm-hmm. beyond that, yeah, that's basically my complaint. Um, Sherwin, how do you feel about the evolution between RE1 to RE2? Oh, no, you need to give Burger time to speak, otherwise <laughs> they're going to carry on interrupting everybody. Sorry. Go, Burger. <laughs> I Burgers was Virgin, you just commenting uh, along. Um, <laughs> no, y'all, y'all hit the nail around the head. Uh, I, my complaint now is that it's still, it's at this point, it's a game that's 25 years old. So there's just uh, a lot of games that do what it's doing in a more satisfying way to me now. Um, mm. uh, but in the context of um, 19 games that were that were also made in 1998, God, it's just such such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's there's obviously other survival horror games that came around that time. Like Silent Hill was not Resident Evil, but um, you could see where like they they dialed it in, uh, and that's what yeah. they did. Like you you listen, refinement was the was the key here. Uh, I don't know that I would agree. I don't know that I agree with KDB's assessment that it um it feels less survival. Like it feels less survival horror to me. Um, it feels like a game that um just highlights the 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 lampooning of the situation it's like it's it's what dawn of the dead did right it's it's uh escalating in a in a way that's that i i find to be fairly rewarding because it's the what it asks for you incrementally in the in the moment what it when it asks for you to suspend your disbelief a little bit it's not much 
Um, mm-hmm. But then you're mm-hmm. rewarded with a liquor when Leon looks up at the wall. You see, what's this blood pool? Okay, you look up and here's this mm-hmm. uh, monster. Pardon my language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you play the game and you meet uh, you know, Sherry, for example. Uh, and then Sherry... It's like, oh, there's this other monster. And you're like, okay, what's what's worse than this other monster that I find? And then you find out, and it is so cool to see. It's just another escalation that's rewarded. So, like, when you mm. walk into the giant freaking underground laboratory later, you're like, yeah, this is where I belong right now. This is this is appropriate for where we're at in this game. Mm. Um, I love that feeling. Mm. Uh, Friends of 3 is another good example of that. But that one did go way more action. Um, yeah. That. Uh, it's funny actually you talk about um like a silent hill which comes out next year and stuff like that like while i was replaying it i was thinking about all these games that people call like resident evil clones if you want to include silent hill in that then Mm -hmm. fair enough like a bunch of games sort of span off from it especially after resident Evil 4 right but i mean like this this Mm. fixed camera kind of style like your blue stinger for dreamcast your deep fear for Saturn. carrier Mm -hmm. also the dreamcast Right, Alone in the Dark, A New Nightmare as well, to mm-hmm. an extent. People Countdown call them... Vampires. Yes, yeah. there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, people call them Resident Evil clones. They're more they're not more appropriately Resident Evil 2 clones. Yeah. yeah. Like Resident Evil 2 sharpened that style to a point um, that everyone was like... Okay, <laughs> yeah, that everyone was like, okay, we're going to make our own version of that. Um, yeah, it was really after RE2 that people went, this is a massive sea change moment in terms of video games, if you want to call it as an art form, but you know, the classic phrase of, I feel like I'm playing a movie. 100%. Resident Evil 2 was a, was a yeah. big part of that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Sherwin, how do you feel about this transition between RE1 and RE2? I think uh, I think this was, yeah, as you saw in the first, the first three games are effectively evolutions of the, of the sort of classic RE um concept and i feel mm. like by the time you got around so obviously initial one is is what it is introduces the whole introduces the whole thing that's what it is i think re2 and then obviously following on from that re3 was the series but more so with re2 was the series really finding its feet more than ever before and landing yeah. at a point where it knew in a more sophisticated way how to be what it was yeah, whether you're looking at the interface, whether you're looking at, uh, you know, in terms of your controls and so on, which I'll just quickly jump in here. Um, I think is perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think, I think you will seldom find a game that feels more intuitive to your hands to learn and to play than the original mm-hmm. RE engine for what the actual game was. I appreciate we can talk about how you know going forward people now find conventions have changed and everything else, but if you are to look at that game and you literally pick up a controller and start steering it at that time, the most intuitive thing possible. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. I, and I think yeah, that's that's mastery in itself. And I feel like if you were to look at you know that, but sophistication of how it does jump scares, sophistication of storytelling, sophistication right, yeah. of weaving in as many characters as it did, mm-hmm. and enemy types, and introduction of how they all work. Astonishing across the board. The only parts, and yeah, we'll touch on this later on, because I'm sure this isn't necessarily it, the, the only part that really, for me, continues. It's, it's a sad thing, because the concept is, is breathtakingly brilliant. The execution is sorely lacking, and sadly wasn't very well implemented in the remake either is the B playthrough 
Yeah. Um, and we will touch on that, I'm 100% yeah, sure. Yeah, we will. But, but sure. in terms of... But in terms of anything else, yeah, in terms of how you go around, and I, I actually disagree with you. The puzzles are mostly fetch quests. Cool, fine of me. It suits the type of game. You don't Absolutely. have to. Right, so, for sure. Like, no, oh, no, yeah. yeah I certainly. was just stretching to try and. Find yeah, absolutely. Something. <laughs> so, something, something this game does <laughs> astonishingly well is gives you this idea that you are, is that you are in the police building. You know, you're in the RPD building. And the zombie, you know, there is a countdown happening. The zombies are going to break mm. in at any one point. And all it takes is a single cutscene, just at a certain point where you're like, okay, game over, I need to get out. And the way it's, and the way it's done that is simply by giving you a couple of, um, you know, a couple of notes from David Ford saying the zombies have come to get us and we're trying to get out while we can. Maybe a mention from Marvin about zombies being attacking and then literally mm-hmm. a cutscene. And immediately you've got this sense of, I am running around, I need to get out, I need to escape. But if you think about everything else, like, you know, whether I'm to think about, uh, again, all of these are different interwoven things, but music, I know we'll talk about that, because uh, I'll force it into the podcast if we don't. But the point <laughs> is, is that, yeah, music and other bits and pieces, everything is just so much more sophisticated. And mm-hmm. as a result, yeah. and, and obviously gameplay is a perfect, it's such a broad brush, it's difficult to sort of hone in on any one thing. Um yeah, because it, obviously, yeah, there's an awful lot in there to discuss. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah. but, um, but as I said, I think, yeah, it just steps up. It's more sophisticated. It doesn't necessarily do dramatically new things, but the content that it does show is just, is just so much stronger than the first game. Mind blowing. Yeah. Spot on. Mm. Spot on. Yeah, I, so, I, I agree. Sorry, Steve. I was just going to say, in terms of that. Um, like the I, I I have my complaint about oh it's the puzzles or whatever but I I agree because the pacing is incredible in this game like it really blows your mind mm-hmm. to think that considering the history this game went through of being nearly finished and then scrapped and started again and being not I don't want to say rushed is harsh but like they would have had far less of a time frame. Uh, oh, they would have been sleeping in through, the office, so. I imagine. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And the pacing on it is so perfect because the RPG as a location. I mean, it goes without saying, it's incredible. It's far less intricate than the Spencer Mansion, which is great because it allows for a more streamlined experience and the puzzles, the right. lack thereof, or the more simple versions of puzzles feed into that. Because RE2, as you so rightly said, Sherwin, is about the pressure of getting out of the situation. Whereas RE1 feels like the night that could stretch on and never end. Yeah. yeah, and it's uh, that's a part of it. RE2 is about go, 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 go. Like mm-hmm. the, the story is constantly moving and you want to know what happens next and you move through the story. And then once you've done that, it's all about replayability more than ever this game, which is why mm. it's got four scenarios and stuff. It wants you to play it over and get better at it, which is why everything, yeah. the location, detail, and the puzzles, it's just really streamlined. And, and again, this all plays into the how how kind of ridiculous those deep playthroughs can get to because, um, like the whole the you know, Mr. X comes in, um, mm. and that's like again another escalation of the experience that mm-hmm. yeah f- yeah exactly is yep. uh, wonderful and and that's another mechanic that absolutely changed video games going forward. Mm. Um, Steve, you've been very patient. Sorry, <laughs> I have. I, 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 I want to like, uh, I want to go all in here. So, Steve hates it. Gameplay wise, <laughs> what? What was that? Game, gameplay wise, it's uh, mechanically it functions very much like an iterative version of, of um, Director's Cut with the built-in lock-on. Mm. But I think it, it goes so much further towards the actual level layouts and pacing in this game because no other Resident Evil 
before or after does the whole like you know the very starting screen seven zombies are here to kill you yeah. find a way out <laughs> yes yeah, yeah even like i think the riskiest otherwise is re3's one singular zombie you know you could probably walk around <laughs> that threat level that can tear you apart is like a sink or swim moment which is great because this whole game's thing is about empowerment to me mm. like uh from zero to hero you like the, the, the second room you're in there's an optional chance to get a shotgun you know most people would say mandatorily but some of us go for the alternate outfits you know um <laughs> And then before you even meet the first proper boss of the game, be it A playthrough or B playthrough, unless you count the tyrant as a boss, I don't, not really, you can walk around him, uh, you get all of your main weapons. Yeah. But then the game counterbalances this side by having its hunter equivalent introduced literally like room three of the police station. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's great how it's done this, because it's like literally those who are professionals at Resident Evil or have played the first one to death and have unlocked the rocket launcher, beat the tyrant and all that, you know, they have... So many stumbling blocks thrown their way, but then the game will like if you look out, go out, go out of your way to find weapons, shotgun ammo, and magnum ammo, or grenade rounds, bowgun rounds. You're gonna be like swimming with it, and you'll be going so flush with ammo that you can just blitz through the game so fast. I would argue that the the simplicity of the puzzles accommodates that. So literally, it's built for speed running before speed running really became a thing. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I also think just quickly to touch on something you said there, Steve. Um, sorry to interrupt your train of thought. Um, I believe Resident Evil Two was the first time where the game, the game series says, "Hey, you're in a cutscene. You're normally safe. No, you're not. Literally, here's some zombies. Like in that Kendo gun shop scene. Like, right? Yeah. I, I think, yeah. yeah. Anything in Resident Evil, I often categorize it thinking about it. Like you almost, especially Resident Evil Two, you are running from you know cutscene to cutscene. It's like that pervasive sense of isolation. Okay, okay, I'm I'm holding my breath. I must survive. I'm looking for resources. I'm looking for items. I'm trying to get my way through this thing. Um, you know, and your cutscene is like the bit where you, oof, okay, tension drains out of my body. I watch the next part of the story, and then I get going again. This game, literally, I'm taking you out of a stressful situation where I'm chasing and running away from zombies. Okay, here's a cutscene. I can get my breath. No, I can't. There's zombies. <laughs> that's that's yeah. a whole new level of tension. Adrian Leon, I'm going to sit on the tram for five minutes. Oh, no, here comes Birkin. Yeah. Right, like, the door, yeah. the doorway in the B playthrough, for example, that you're like, it's just a door transition. No, it's not. You know. <laughs> but then even like getting used to certain hallways, and then you play the B, the B scenario, and then Tyrant bursts through the wall, and it's like, mm-hmm. again, just unexpected. Wild, yeah. Hmm. Well, you think you're safe, and you're not. Anyway, back to Steve. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So to compound all this, and you've got stuff like, I mean, we're going to get into it a bit more, I think, later on. But the whole zapping system thing, and lots of optional puzzles mm-hmm. that can then affect each playthrough, and depending on what, what you do in certain playthroughs, can tailor it in more ways than I think is just opaque. Mm-hmm. Like if you shoot, shoot certain monsters down or pick up certain ammo packs, I believe it alters what happens in the other playthrough regardless. <laughs> it's very intricate. And then on top of that, you've got an interesting story, some honestly horrifying sound design and stuff. Again, that we'll get there in a bit. And I think it's. It's a package that's not been replicated since. Even Remake 2 doesn't do half mm-hmm. the stuff that Remake well, that the original Resident Evil 2 does yeah. in terms of like getting that forward pace. And no offence to Remake 2, but the momentum can be taken in and out when you know Mr. X is making you wait in the safe room for 10 minutes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's uh, let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's start talking about the story and that kind of stuff. We'll come. We'll loop back round to zapping certainly, um, but the story of Resident Evil 2, which obviously takes place a few months after the original game in September of 1998. Uh, at this point, all hell has broke loose when you first get your hands on the controller. Raccoon City has yeah, gone to hell, basically. 
and uh, the T-virus is everywhere. We have zombie apocalypse essentially playing out. And you have two discs in the box, from the first release at least, um, to play in any order that you like. One character, we obviously, both of these characters have gone on to be hugely important for the series. In fact, many characters in this game have gone on to be hugely important for the series. But of course, your playable characters, Rookie Cop, Leon S. Kennedy, and Claire Redfield looking for her brother. And encountering lots of overlapping uh, storylines, I guess most prominently... Uh, Umbrella trying to swoop in and steal the brand new G-Virus, which leads to the mutation of William Birkin, which is kind of, I feel like, the centre point of the story, really. But there is a lot going on. Uh, Steve, since you were so patient last time, do you want to go first and talk about how you feel about Resident Evil 2 as a story, which I feels like a huge question, but <laughs> please do your best. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, think, I think it's rather good. <laughs> like, uh, I, I feel... That some bits perhaps could do with a bit more fleshing out in, in in the wider scope of things, but as a get in, get out, here's a crisis and a resolution of a story. Mm. I think it, it does everything it needs to. Like you know, the the ins and outs of it. Leon meeting the spy Ada and then getting betrayed by her are compelling enough. But then you've got Claire being surrogate mum slash big sister to Sherry, while Sherry's being hunted by her own father has a horrible scene even if it's just sound wise of what happens with her father also there's an alligator somewhere Annette yells at people and then there's a really badass scene of some like USS troops getting ripped to bits <laughs> it's it's pretty good yeah there's a lot going on I think it's more riffing on aliens than anything but just with, like changing some bits around though in terms of encounters mm. and certain set pieces right, I feel like the nuances of story are something that my brain is trying to put together and jumble sentences though so I'm going to pass on to someone else <laughs> that is completely fair uh, Berger how do you feel about RE2's story I um yeah, have a controversial opinion, and uh, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> say that it was it was only okay. Um, it's it's it, it's exactly what it needs to be, and and that's fine. Um, it there's not you know I just it's pretty. It's it, I like it more <laughs> for the um, the whole package than anything like the story to me right. ties together the rest of the experience in, in a way that I think is, is satisfying. Um, mm. uh, you said it right, Bergs. It's pretty. Yeah, it is pretty. <laughs> um, I think there, there's some fairness to that because one of the compliments I have about it is that this game is a balancing act of your own level of interest. It can be as simple as you want it to be. It can be, let's get in and out of the city and save the small child or whatever um, and that's it but there is obviously depending on your interest level a lot more depth and you can invest your brain into piecing all those bits together so it's totally valid to be like the story just serves for me a good experience yeah it, it ties it together I mean, not, not to jump in on other people's points, I think one of my favourite parts is the optional stuff. Like, yeah. the law, you'll learn about the downfall of the RPD. And then the photos, especially the photos, because there's like one that like shows the tyrant in a, in a case mm -hmm. or maybe a G creature. And you have no idea at that point. Like, it's just crazy what you can just find just by going a bit out of the way if you're not just trying to blaze a trail through the plot. Yeah, if you don't pick up the mm -hmm. files or anything, that does dampen the experience. Um, mm -hmm. I, like I, said, I don't dislike it, um, but I, I do, I do not, I do not think it is uh, <laughs> incredibly uh, groundbreaking. If, if nothing else, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Kelsey, how do you feel about RE 2s story? <laughs> this is where my heel turn begins. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, 
Okay, so yeah, I've go, politely time to go baby with face. Burger. Uh, I think it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've said before how I think Resident Evil 1 made me realise that video games weren't toys, and yeah, RE2 yeah. enhances that, and kind of the story is a huge part of it because it, it brings it so much closer to, like, you know, an immersive movie experience. Um, it's mm. it's way less conspiracy than the original and more about relationships and family, which to me is just the stuff that I prefer. I think I've said that before on other episodes. And, you know, this this story wants to proudly stand alongside like a Hollywood movie. And some of my favorite movies of all time, uh, as cheesy as some people might think they are, are, you know, Terminator, Terminator 2, yeah. Alien, Aliens, Child's Play, Halloween, all that stuff like that. And the story in this game does so much to reference all those classics and right from the intro cinematic it's saying pay attention to the story because that cutscene with leon and claire you know the the, the high rendered cutscene, it does so well in setting this story up it's good it's if you've been playing resident evil one for a couple of years and then you come on to this the huge step up Such in dialogue voice performance editing and yeah quality. for sure it's just, it's like you're watching a movie rather than an intro to a game. And it's still good to this day. You know, I saw it yesterday as well. So, um, and I, if we're going to talk about like story references and styles, I can see the point of view of saying, you know, it does what it's supposed to do. You know, right. this isn't a Darren Aronofsky story. It's <laughs> a James Cameron story. It's accessible to everybody. Exactly. Um, I put it in like, my brain. It, it has equivalency with movies like RoboCop or, um, like you said, the Terminator. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's there to be engaging, but like, it, it doesn't challenge you. Like, mm. I, I I can admit, it, I, no. I don't think it needs to challenge you to mm-hmm. be good. Right. I think what? Sorry, Berg. That's go a, on. Sorry, I was agreeing with you. I apologize. I'm just excited. No, that's cool. That's <laughs> <me too. laughs> I think. You know, like I say, of course, I'll admit it, it doesn't really challenge you. Um, it just needs to tap into your emotions. And I think RE2 does that because yes. it balances this, you know, this heartstring emotion stuff and then the action and suspense, which is all accessible to pretty much anyone over the age of like nine. And the story continuously kind of knocks on your heart and this fear of losing loved ones. And it's got, you know, whereas RE1 used the Umbrella Conspiracy as like the main plot. Here in RE2, it's it's absolutely just a supporting act to, you know, the focus of the breakdown of family and breakdown of personal mm-hmm. relationships, you know. And then by the end, you've got Leon and Claire and Sher- Sherry building new relationships and a new family, mm-hmm. uh, sort of for want of a better phrase. And I just think, man, like the key, the the vulnerability of the characters and things, it's so incredible in this game. And... I think if you can't latch on to that stuff, you know, it's, you've probably got a heart of stone because Leon and Claire, strangers thrown together. And guess what? You know, this is a male and female lead in the 90s and there's not a hint of a love story for these two. They just, sure. they become partners in a hero sense and in not mm. a romantic sense. And, you know, we have Claire, Steve touched on it, Claire and uh, Sherry and then Leon and Ada, the Birkin family. It's all just so tragic and hopeless uh the things that happen leon gets shot like sherry gets infected like steve says yeah even off screen like claire and her hunt for chris like chris isn't even in the game but his presence is so strong in the story mm-hmm. that you know for me that just kind of that speaks to the story strengths and i think we could you know i could talk for another hour about the story and i won't but i think for this day to this day for all its plaudits, RE2 still doesn't get enough credit for the story. I think 
it surpasses the original. I don't think there's been a more mm-hmm. well-paced, well-interwoven inter- emotional story in the franchise since. And uh, yeah, it's... I, I'll wrap it up, sorry. Like The ending of Village, I, I think, is emotional, but that's very much in a vacuum. And mm. this game story plays out you know, so much more effectively and kind of in this world where we have people like Kojima and Druckmann trying to balance movies and gameplay, like mm-hmm. Resident Evil 2 cracked it first and, and it hasn't been surpassed since you the story. You have so perfectly teed up a bunch of things that I want to say. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I said a lot, I know. No, 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 it's fine. Like there are a bunch of things that I need to certainly dive into myself on that end. Um, talking about the evolution of RE1. We talked about this before, I think, when we did Villains special, and I talked about how amazing it is that RE2 takes Umbrella and I don't I don't want to say humanizes it, but it places a human story into sort of like the blackest part of its heart. Like Umbrella at this point has become this out of control beast with rival corporations sort of digging in. They're afraid of the government. They've got paranoid employees. And the family of that paranoid employees, as you said, quite rightfully, right in the middle of all of it. So we get sort of a look into the effect of Umbrella as a corporation on the people that are directly associated with it, which is a, a massive jump from RE1, which has a great story for what it's worth. It's the same, not in a complaint, but it's the same every time. It's like the core part, you go from A to B in the story. It's It doesn't really deviate particularly. There's some human parts of it with Barry and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's, as you, yeah, quite rightfully said, it's about the conspiracy and it's kind of about the adventure and stuff. Whereas this, about I mean, you're, you're quite right in talking about it being sort of like a James Cameron film. And obviously it's just dripping with movie references. Mm-hmm. Steve, you said, you know, it's basically an alien film. It's basically aliens. We've got Terminator in here. We've got all kinds of stuff. But I, I, and I'm, I, I think you're underselling it somewhat. When people <laughs> say that, you know... And we already made reference to it. It's like I'm playing a film. <laughs> a film cannot do this. Mm-hmm. I have not seen a film with, as I count it, seven or so concurrent plot lines that don't get confusing. Yeah. That Somehow this game juggles Leon's first day and the tragedy of him coming in, Marvin and all that stuff. You've got... Uh, Claire and her brother, which obviously trails off quite early on when she realised she's not here. So I'd tie that to Sherry and her, the, the breakup with her parents and the fracturing relationship there. You've got Ada and her secret identity and her secret goals. You've got Ben trying and the umbrella cover-up and Ben mm-hmm. trying to undo all that. The RPD is corrupt and Brian Irons is a madman. You've got Birkin's paranoia and the transformation that he goes through as Umbrella swoops in to steal his work. These are all layers that overlap at different points in the game, all put together through different all these four playthroughs. That's like seven plot lines. Yeah. No film can do that. Like it's ridiculous. The, the it's yeah, the balancing <laughs> act of all of this just blows my mind to this day. And not to like poo-poo any other Resident Evil game. But nothing has ever, ever achieved something quite like this. Agreed. Like everything, like four, five, and six for what? Okay, six maybe it <laughs> tried because it was convoluted as balls. But like four and five, great games for what they are. Very simple. Again, very straightforward. Yeah. You start here, you go through this, you end here. And RE2 has elements of that. By the end of the game, when you're on the train, getting on the train on your B playthrough, you feel like you've you know, gone through miles of stuff from watching Kendo bite it at the beginning. 
It feels like a massive journey because there's so much stuff going on, though. So much to think about. It's, yeah, uh, sorry. It's the best story that Resident Evil has ever told for my mm-hmm. money. And I don't think it will ever, 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 ever get close to being anywhere like it. And we'll get to characters and I'll probably say exactly the same thing as well, <laughs> to be honest. Um, um, <laughs> always chasing that next dragon. Um, sure. With uh, No, I agree. I, I feel like... Um, I feel like I, I may have undersold my opinion. I, I do. I do think it's a good storyline. Um, I just don't think it. Like I, said, I don't think it's groundbreaking because uh, I don't know. When I first played it, uh, I don't. I hadn't played any of the other. I didn't play the first one. I definitely hadn't even heard right. of the first one. Um, so that night, I spent grinding away at the police station until I think we maybe got past it once mm-hmm. or twice. Um, given my first opinions on, it. I've gone. I've since gone and played it, and, and I do think it's a good. So like. That I equated to RoboCop, which was an important movie in my life at the time. Is, I love RoboCop. Fair. I did too. I think, but it's not a very complicated to to, yeah, like, to me. Is like I I appreciate I appreciate what the game is and like what it is because it is like this is big complicated thing is happening and you've got these multiple characters engaging with it and how those things overlap and the more you play it, the more you learn about it. Um, but to me, the, it's the video game. That, oh, that's all part of yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That, that's what I that's what I was saying earlier. It's like it depends on how much you want to get out of it. Like yeah. all these mm-hmm. plot lines that I mentioned really are just serving you enjoying a video game. You don't yeah. really have to think too far about the surface level, but you can if you want, and it all connects together and yeah, creates this tapestry. Which yeah, absolutely. Um, Sherwin, how do you feel about the story of RE2? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, do you know? I mean, obviously, you guys have said a lot. Um, the story is perfect for what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. It doesn't outstay its welcome. It doesn't try to go into unnecessary depth, and you know, in the sense, it doesn't try to go. In, well, no, actually, no, it doesn't go into unnecessary depth at all. Um, it doesn't. Mm. It, it perfectly supports the level that you want to interact it with. And this is where Resident Evil 2 is a masterclass. Not necessarily in the story itself, in the deployment of how it tells that story. So, if you're someone who wants to go around and completely immerse yourself in the fall of the Raccoon City Police Department, if you're someone who wants to understand exactly where we've got, how we've got here from Resident Evil 1, if you're someone who wants to understand you know, what happened next with, with Chris, and we don't talk about mm. Jill... If you want to have this idea of, yeah, what what's happening with, yeah, who the new characters are in terms of, hey, is there backstory to why, you know, to Leon's first day, that sort of stuff. All of these different things, they're in there. If you want to go looking for them, and if you don't, that's fine too. They're not necessary to understand the plot or what's going on. They're not necessary to kind of keep you, you know, running through. If your son just wants the raw experience of, I want to run to the end because I am scared and I need to be out of this building, or I don't care about reading that stuff because it's just not me cool whatever like the game is is perfect in how it slowly deploys that information to you to keep you on edge to kind of keep you uh to really kind of uh sort of slowly unveil itself much like re1 where you're sort of unpicking bits and pieces that's the sort of idea you know if you're looking at the cutscenes, it really it does a really really good job of introducing multiple characters that supportive of that in that supportive role who you're actually meeting them for the first time it's not like mm-hmm. And if you think about Resident Evil 1, oh, I've read this random Stars dude. Okay, but you know why that Stars dude is here. You know mm. 
you know, in some sense, you've got a piece of their identity. They're a police officer. They've been sent to do this. You don't need to know anything beyond. Okay, so this is Richard. He's a stars guy. In this case, I've met a random woman in a lab cloak. All I know about her is that she has a gun she's pointing at me and she seems pretty angry about something. That's that's pretty much it. And, you know, the way that the characters are introduced and there's no exposit, weighty exposition. They literally just give it to you and then they're moving on from the storyline and it's literally mm. almost in the same breath. Really, really good example of, of that Hollywood method of, of introduction. Terminator 2 is a really good resonant with, for me, uh, way of thinking about this. It just literally, it's, it's beat, 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 beat. It blasts through. And that's really, really good. Is the story as strong as Resident Evil 1? No. Resident Evil 1 has a far better story than what Resident Evil 2 does. But Resident Evil 2 doesn't need a brilliant story. It just needs to tell a well-paced story and deliver it really well. And that's exactly what it does. Indeed. Well, we've talked about, you know, the multiple playthroughs. And a big selling point of Resident Evil 2 when it came out was the zapping system. So so much so, they gave it this name, which I'll never really understand. I know <laughs> that the zapping is a weird word marketing for it. But it's, 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 it's marketing speak. It's, it's yeah, most, absolutely. I so no one said it before. Of, yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> anyone sitting around in an office going, this is really smart. Like, it's, 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 it's marketing, isn't it? Yes. So yeah, the zapping system, the ability to put in whatever disc uh, you'd like to play first, play through the A scenario, and then play through the other side with the other character as the B scenario, and then flip-flop and do it the other way as well. Um, Kelsey, how do you feel about the zapping system? Are there any things about it that you do and don't like? Is it a worthy addition, or does it not necessarily pan out for you? Uh, yeah, it's a worthy addition. I remember, I remember being like you said not fully understanding it until i sort of played it and got to play scenario b mm. and like seeing what the results of things was i mean at the time it just blew my mind mm. <laughs> i couldn't believe that yeah. i was leaving you know leaving the side pack or or leaving the submachine gun just for an example and stuff like that and yeah it's it maybe looks quite sort of simple and and basic now looking back but Again, just in the context of the time, uh, and I mentioned the package already of the game, it's, it was a huge selling point, uh, I think, that you could say to other people who hadn't played it. And I remember saying to friends, you know, saying, you know, who did you start with? Who did you... Oh, did, did you know? Yeah. You yeah. know, Leon starts on the other side of, of the, the truck. You can start there and you can play his mission and, and it would just blow their minds because I think <laughs> as young children, you're not necessarily always tuned into that stuff. And so you know you're not aware of the marketing and things like that so you've got to kind of discover it for yourself so it blew my mind back then i mean maybe these days it's almost something like it's almost kind of expected these days that games <laughs> do this sort of stuff and cross over in different ways a bit more but yeah the time i, I thought it was amazing and uh yeah not too much to say really just <laughs> another great tick for resident evil 2 <laughs> <laughs> steve how do you feel about uh the so-called zapping uh, I remember, this is a core memory moment, but I remember like pouring over the manual going, what's that mean? Mm. What does this mean? Mm. Honestly, in the context of the greater time, you know, now we know that you know, for things you do in scenario A will affect scenario B. And I wish more games did it. Like, I can only think of a handful of games where what you do in one playthrough can affect another playthrough. Mm. Like, you've got your Mass Effect games, obviously Mass Effect 1 leads to 2, leads to 3, but nothing like in its own enclosed ecosystem quite like this does. 
and I appreciate it for it because you can, you know, I wish there was like someone had done a full like list of all the little changes. Yeah. Because I'm sure, like I said, item placements can change. I'm pretty sure at least once I've seen the Magnum on like, for example, the, the secretary's desk in the, in the main hall in scenario two for Leon. So I have no idea how that goes. I, when I, I played recently, uh, I had the grenade launcher there. I don't know how common that is for Claire B, but it was, yeah, in the, in the main hall, which actually took me back. I'm not used to playing Claire B though, so it might be normal. Hmm. Well, yeah, no, the, the, uh, there's all these little weird things. Obviously now we're big super nerds and go, yeah, so if I pick up this ammo pack here, does that mean that changes that there? Hmm. Uh, as a kid, like it's just this novel thing where one leads into the other and you see the other half of the story. But even then, Seeing a slightly skewed version of the same story, but with like a a bigger, badder ending, and a a new like throwback to the previous game's big bad enemy walking around, it's cool. Yeah. Like, uh, mm, I kind of wish there was more to it now, though. Like, you know, literally, if it went that nitty gritty of like, if Leon clear cleared, um, if Leon cleared an office out on playthrough A, then the playthrough B, there should be nothing there, but. That would probably make for a very boring game now, wouldn't it? I suppose so, but there are certainly, I think there's ways you probably could have done something with it. I felt like, you know, that's probably a podcast for another I mean, day about another game. where you know, Just one I learned this past while. If you leave Marvin alive in Scenario A, he's technically still around in B. Yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. You just walk in and he's already a zombie. It's neat. Um, yeah, I had one, um, so I kind of alluded to it there, where I played through the game this week. Leon A, Claire B, which I don't usually do for a few reasons... Um, but I did it because it was kind of a way to stop myself from rushing through the game, as I'm known to do. Uh, I think famously I've talked about it several times. I just basically play Claire A over and over and over and over again. Um, and if I tell myself I'm going to play at a normal speed, it, it just doesn't pan out and I see how fast I can go. So I did Leon A and Claire B to give myself an excuse to see stuff I'd never seen before or, or rather hadn't seen in a very long time. And I made sure to go everywhere. Um, so I, as in Claire B I didn't realise this was a thing if you go down to the cells you can find Ben's dead body um, after he's been ripped apart I was like oh that's kind of cool his corpse is just lying there um, some of it yeah, some of it doesn't quite match up I thought it was quite funny um, Claire comes across Leon wounded and then races off and leaves him behind in that corridor and then somehow he gets to the lab before she does like all the cable car has been done which I thought that's a little weird but there you go um, so there are things that I there are some things that don't match up like that, and there are some things that I feel like uh, are better in some way around than the other, obviously. I'm a big proponent of Claire A, Leon B, because mm. the other way around, you don't get Leon and Sherry interacting at all. We lose a lot of the Birkin and G-Virus antidote stuff and that kind of thing, so I certainly have my preference, but uh, as a concept, I agree. It's amazing, and uh, it's a shame that certain remakes didn't actually do it properly, but mm. there you go. Um, <laughs> Showing, how do you feel about the zapping system? Um, it's flawed genius. So mm. this is, again, in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, you think the puzzles are crap. Burger hates a story. I think, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to burn you both with that now. I think, um, for me, the is it? I the the concept is amazing, mm. and the execution at the end, in terms of the extended ending part brilliant absolutely brilliant um and this is something which is game defining you know before this no one had done it um yeah. and it, and exactly as you said i think it was you kdb said this is just that everyone does this now of course they do because they've played this and they're like this is absolutely brilliant why are we not doing this the parts where it doesn't work are 
a lack of continuity between the two. I feel mm. like if you and 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 I can forgive the original Resident Evil for this because it's very much something where yeah, it's a PlayStation game ultimately. Like I can't even begin to imagine the amount of time frame. Think of like a game now. You you put it out. Okay, that part wasn't right. We'll just patch it, and the job is done. Now you had this game that had to come out in its physical form exactly as it was. Had to be perfect, and that's literally what it was. I can't even begin to imagine how much more intensive development was and how much less you know space you had to work with on that disc and so on to actually achieve what you need to do and so forth so especially when you've already started making the game and then scrapped it at like what 80 percent or whatever else and then have right. to get the thing out so i can totally get with it you know why it happened that for me is is a failing of resident evil 2 remake because ultimately mm-hmm. it feels wrong that i'm playing it and i have to go get the valve and then blow open the the water yeah, the, the blow, blow open the water thing again because I've already done that once. So why is it not already done the second time I go there? Why if the tyrant falls through the ceiling and it blocks the way to the door, is the door not blocked in my A playthrough at some point? Mm-hmm. Like stuff like that is the bit where it feels like there's so many small nods, exactly as you guys were saying. Oh, Marvin's actually there, wandering around as a zombie, or kind of yeah, you see a corpse laying there because that person died in this playthrough. Yeah, they're great, but there's lots of small bits that aren't there. And those are the parts where I feel like if I'm doing the puzzle twice, you know, that's that that sort of stuff falls down for me. It would be better if you had puzzles that just were not accessible for whatever reason mm. that you could then do. All, all that it would take is that, and at that point, it's literally perfect. But otherwise, in terms of the actual concept itself, yeah. Really, really, really solid. Um, I mean, it's we established sort of they're sleeping on the floor. These devs. Let's give them a break. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, right? <laughs> I, no, I, I can be exactly. I can be very forgiving of that. I yeah, think it's I a sort of thing where where someone sat down and suggested this, and it's that one of those wonderful ideas where someone went, "My God, we've got to do how, that." How how have we never thought of this before? It's amazing. Hmm. And ever since, like, yeah, you know, as soon as you say it, it's like, well, yeah, every game should be that way because it's an incredible idea. And how much more immersive is that? Mm-hmm. But you know, it's you know how much extra does it give to your game for in terms of the development and everything else? Like doubles the length of your game, fantastic. But it's just those small parts where I imagine it's time is the biggest issue or anything else. Yeah, but there we are. Yes, it's hard to disagree with that. Certainly, like just more of it would have been great, really, and just tighten everything up. It's a yeah, you're right. It might be a time thing. Could be a balance thing, trying to make sure they get everything right. But. Uh, yeah, it's almost like a taster of something that could have been perfect. Well, sadly, didn't quite get there, but there you go. Um, well, there's got to be a first, about... right? There's got to be a first right. time anyone does Well, no, first, exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Berger, how do you feel about zappings? Uh, I think, um, I think I, I agree with Sherman. Uh, it's, it's, it's genius. It, it like one of when I when I think of my one of my the zapping interactions that that speak to me, it's it's the capacity to 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 pick which hallway in the B playthrough gets flooded with zombies by closing the shutters on the one side. Yeah. Um, And then like that was so cool to me, like going through again on the other side of this um, and then being able to go through that hallway and have it be a generally safe corridor, uh, except it's not um, Mm -hmm. is, was cool. Um, But yeah, the parts where it didn't work were um, were super not great. I I'm bummed it never really caught on. And I was thinking of other games that I can recall having a similar style of interaction, 
And the only thing mm. I'm casting for and coming back something is a game on the Super Nintendo called Blackthorn, which had a password system where like it would generate a password when you go entered a, a new area. Um, mm. depending on like what weapon upgrades you got in the past as you right. went through the game. Yeah. So it's the only mm. thing I could think I mean, of that's even re- kind of remotely close to this style at that time. Or uh, I mean, I'm having a hard time casting something that does the same thing. I'm going to say, talking RPGs, like, the only thing I can think of that comes close to the zapping system, really, if you want to go into the weeds, is maybe the way Chrono Trigger just figures out your, like, crimes. Spoilers, you get put on trial on Chrono Trigger. And in the Sega Mega Drive RPG, it's kind of a big deal, actually, in that one. The Sega, My- Sega Mega Drive RPD, RPG, Jesus. Um, Witcher fan- 3 does it fan- as well. You can carry over your save from The Witcher 2. Yeah, well, well, it's not the okay, same. That's, uh, again, that's not the same 3. thing. Oh, Fantasy Star. Oh, that's a yeah, Fantasy that Star is. 3, the whole point of it was you like you, 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 it was a shipping simulator to a degree. <laughs> Whoever got with who would develop the progeny the next part of the campaign. Mm. Uh, so it had effects, like not not zapping system, obviously, because it was one big adventure, but it was like in chunks, so you could like do each yeah. generation. Uh, God, that was a hard brain fart to get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did it now, so we're all proud of you. Um... <laughs> Operation Report, September 27th, 1 p.m. The West Barricade has been broken through, and another exchange ensued. We sheltered the injured in the confiscation room on the first floor temporarily. Twelve more people were injured in the battle. Recorder, David Ford. Additional report. Three additional people were killed following the sudden appearance of an as-of-yet unknown creature. This creature is identified by missing patches of skin and razor-like claws. However, its most distinguishing characteristic is its lance-like tongue capable of piercing a human torso in an instant. Their numbers as well as their location remains unknown. We have tentatively named this creature the Licker, and are currently in the process of developing countermeasures to deal with this new threat. Recorder, David Ford. We talked about the story, we talked about the multiple playthroughs, uh, and I did promise we were going to talk about characters. I think it's... probably quite important to do it because as I sort of alluded to Resident Evil 2 sets up multiple important characters for the rest of the franchise um, also importantly whilst we've got the mention of Chris he's not in the game so we've got like an entirely brand new cast of characters as well which is quite a bold risk really mm. I mean I know originally 1.5 was going to take even more of a departure by not even really referencing Chris but even still to have an entirely brand new cast that it takes place not just in the same world, but you know, characters that have directly interacted with the characters we know. We just haven't seen it, like Irons. Uh, yeah, RE2 has a stacked uh, cast of characters that is pretty beloved in general. Uh, Showing any thoughts on the char- cast of characters, people that stood out to you for better or for worse in RE2? Uh, I mean, I preferred the 1.5 version of Brian Irons. Uh, I liked him Good guy, a Brian. lot more. Yeah, I like good guy Brian a lot more. Uh, Brian Irons feels a bit a touch forced. I get, you know, you need a bad guy. It fits. Um, I don't really care much for Claire Redfield. 
Um, I'm very much aware of who I'm talking to when I say that. Um, you know, like this is probably my last podcast appearance, everyone. Um, so, no, I, I, I'm not. I'm not a big Claire Redfield fan. Uh, I find she's not like Chris. She's not like her brother, where he's not the most bland character ever conceived. Um, but she just falls into that. Okay, I'm I'm den mother. So so quickly, like it's literally. I'll arrive. And I'm kind of looking after Leon, who is, let's be honest, like, you know, he's a 16-year-old child. Um, <laughs> and, and as soon as I see Cher- Sherry, I'm, like, really mumsy. And now I'm trying to save, like, this little girl. And that's the primary thing that is my sole purpose in life. Because apparently, you know, really, she found out about her brother pretty early on. But, like, that is a really interesting point where it would have been nice to see more about who Claire is as a character. Maybe that, you know, maybe you could argue... She just kind of fits into that. I don't know. I, I just felt both of the female characters, none of them feel particularly satisfying in terms of they have very good writing for who they are. Hmm. Ada is possibly the most frustrating character in the entire series. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'll yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll Annette, be back with that one. Annette works because she's the reason why social services exist. Um, she's, she's literally like the, you know, she she is she's insulated by the story arc of who she is. Mm. Um, Claire just feels really, you know, she's she's not she's not Redfield planned. She's just under explored, underdeveloped, I guess. I mean, off the other characters, yeah, they kind of fit. Like Leon has his own charm to him. I mean, it's interesting how he completely evolves after this game to be right. something else entirely, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, the rest of them fill their roles very well. It's it's difficult to kind of zoom too much into what the characters do purely, be, you know, beyond what we said, because exactly like Katie we was talking about, they aren't. We're not, you know, we're not delving into War and Peace or a classic here. We are literally <laughs> we have term we have action movie characters. They Long literally do the job that they, they do their job. They have their key moments. They're there to further the plot or further the action. They're not really there to do an awful lot more. And I think it's more so much the fact that so many of them go on to really be characters that people really, you know, resonate with or, or found extra kind of development stop plot line is. I'd almost say it's because of the it's because of the meta stories that appeared between them and whatever release they were next seen in. Mm. Or whatever legacy they had in future games, not necessarily for the reasons why you saw them here and you went, I really love that character. They speak to me because they are XYZ or they did XYZ or there's nothing here where you would look at these characters and go, That's my new role model. None of them are Barry Byrne. Not a single one of them <laughs> are Barry Byrne. And literally that's it really. <laughs> uh okay, I'll get mine out of the way then, I suppose. <laughs> Um, yeah, do you know, to a certain extent, I can see what you're saying about Claire a little bit. Um, it helps. You don't have to agree. No, no, you but... Oh, I don't agree. Um, <laughs> I I think in retrospect, the fact that we know for a fact that she and Chris are orphans is obviously a big uh, factor into why she fits into the role that she does. And there are some comparisons. So she shares a very similar space that uh, another important video game character does in that she and Samus are essentially Ripley from Aliens proxies Mm -hmm. 
Um, or at least they are what Metroid creator Sakamoto wants Samus to be. Um, bearing in mind that uh, Nintendo don't know what a bounty hunter actually is. So when they used that for Samus and they just thought it sounded cool, they actually think she's like this helper hero lady um, who's really cool to everyone. And as of Mother Other M, uh, the baby, the baby, the baby, the baby is, is her entire personality, um, which is a big letdown and not really who Samus is supposed to be. This is what Samus is supposed to be. Claire Redfield pulls it off in her first game um, immediately. She is that kind-hearted badass who mm-hmm. has the ability to be maternal. Uh, but for me, without turning her entire value into I am a child minder, she manages to ride the line of being protective and motherly, which is not a negative trait at all. But also she wields a gigantic pipe that shoots acid and fire. Um, <laughs> and she has action lady one-liners. Uh, yeah, she perfectly rides this line. She's probably... No, there's no probably. She's far and away the coolest character in the game, easily. Uh, Ada is fine in Resident Evil 2. She's not annoying like her later counterparts. She's kind of cool, but not on Claire's level. Leon, the charming idiot. I love him in RE2, honestly. And I think we said before, when we did the Sherry episode, good job on Sherry on managing to be a kid character that actually matters to the story and isn't annoying, in my opinion. I never found her to be particularly jarring. Um, And also, I'm going to... Flip-flop on Irons as well. I love horrible, evil villain Irons. He's the most hateable POS villain of all time. He's just dripping with, you know, ham. (laughs) He's he's so quotable. I love him. He's ridiculous. Um, Which is good because you need a villain. And he's a temporary villain because Birkin, obviously, a lot more tragic. Um, And he's not like the sort of villain that gives the big speech unlike iron so it's cool to have that in there as like a stopgap, as it were uh yeah uh everyone in this game is pretty great but uh yeah everyone already knows how i feel about claire redfield i guess um steve how do you feel about the cast of characters of re2 i have like massive nostalgia for him we've got to remember this this um i feel like the actual ensemble as a whole are probably this is where the PlayStation almost starts getting its groove with regards like get storytelling and voice acting mesh. Mm. This feels like somewhere between not quite extreme hardcore adult anime that's all ultraviolet, but also a bit more above like Power Rangers and X-Men in terms of trying to keep you engaged with fictional characters. Uh, I uh, yeah. I really like most of the cast. I think the only the only handful that let me down are like, you know, Marvin in this is woefully underused and just a uh, uh, yeah, I will exposit, I'll exposit about the previous game yeah. and then die. Yeah, fair. You know, it's a bit rubbish. And obviously Kendo, the man, the meme, the legend is a meme in this game for a reason. He gets one line, gets bit. <laughs> they're a bit They're a bit wonky and would get improved upon in later iterations. That said, uh, yeah, Clueless Burke Leon, I love him. You know, the man who no one ever listens to because he's never got anything useful to say. <laughs> uh, Claire, I think, yeah, I think Ripley is the probably the best comparison. It's like Ripley without the trauma or the guilt of having lost everybody. You know, so she's just uh, an action badass and she's cool at it. Mm. Ada's neat. She's cool, collected. Annette, in every campaign, at some point says, you've murdered my husband, uh, is a little bit... <laughs> one note in that regard but yeah. does have some stuff regarding her daughter that's a bit more compelling mm-hmm. you know in Leon's campaign it's not so much there it's just you murdered my husband also the G-virus is really special I'm dead now um, <laughs> spoilers oh, no, spoilers, Steve. Ada. <laughs> spoilers 
Spoilers for a 25-year-old game. Uh, although she does, like, I, she has some of the most terrifying deliveries. Like, in that FMV where she recounts Punk's thing, you know, the, the G-virus will revitalise all cellular functions. Just rolls in my head. It's like, ah, that's amazing! Mm. And then she says, you murdered my husband. More than 40 times. It's okay. Sherry's fine. Ben, I think, is more compelling in this one, bless him, but he gets murked yeah, still he real is. quick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it, as the snarky git in the cell who thinks he's safe as opposed to some creep with a cigarette going on, like, like you know, just trying to smoothly on. It's just a git. I like a git in a, like, in a prison cell. And then he died. Mm. <laughs> so, yes, I, I think as an ensemble, generally very strong, but the leads are the ones that take it. Mm. Um, the side characters, Ada and Sherry, are both fine. And the villains are a bit hokey. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Berger, how do you feel about uh, the cast of characters for Resident Evil 2? Uh, I think they're great. Uh, I think they they serve their function as, uh, as, uh, as, as Steve said, as an ensemble. They serve their function well as 80s movie characters. Um, 80s, 90s movie characters of, like like you said, the Ellen Ripley, the you know charming himbo, the Mel Gibson-like type <laughs> of charming himbo. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Sherry is for again, especially for a game made in 1998. Sherry is a very compelling child character. Um, I, I also like evil, evil Brian. So like, I'm afraid you'll have to die. Kind of a mentality that he has. <laughs> um, it it's it's almost served well by by its like dated and like you know kind of bad voice acting more than than the more other iterations of of irons i think i like classic irons over new irons Mm -hmm. um yeah like ultimately speaking i I think they're all pretty cool uh leon is obviously great um for for what he becomes in the series claire uh i love claire um I've always I love Claire in every iteration I see her. I think like seeing where she becomes in later versions of the game or later games. Um, you know she she's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katie B thoughts on the characters. Um, and also whilst you're there, we might as well roll into BOWs as well. Sure. So Irons. I mean, I agree. Great villain. He was literally going to turn the mayor's daughter into like a stuffed trophy absolutely like, that is horrific that's weird that's a bit weird so it's a, yeah yeah i mean he is a bit weird that's <laughs> the whole point so yeah he's terrifying um irons in the remake is good as well but yeah I, I like this one um i yeah claire it's as a child i mean and as and now like just absolutely in love with everything about her i think I do take Sherwin's points. I really, really do. I think for me, like sensitivity is like such a big winning trait. And the fact that when you first see Claire, she's like riding a motorbike, she's got biker gear on, she's like super badass. And then it's like, she's not just like an arrogant prick. She's, she's just cool. She's super cool and she can be sensitive. And when it comes to her and Sherry and her and Chris, uh, she has a bow gun, which looks super cool as well. Um, yeah, so I love Claire, and yeah, I'm definitely a Claire supporter, like you, Cy, and you, Bergs, as well. Um, Everybody other car- than me, basically, on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Noted Claire hater, <laughs> Sherwin Matthews. <laughs> That's um, fine. 
I and just yeah, and I I'm equal opportunities for point. I take the point you think, oh, okay, she's just going to be the mother character. I get it. I, th- I think the story around it is good enough that actually it's fine with me. So it sits fine with me, but I do take the point. Um, I actually, uh, not to promote anybody else, I did I did a whole podcast with somebody else about Annette Birkin as well. I think she's a really strong character. Um, what do you mean not to go say the podcast name? Uh, the podcast is Pixel People. It's a podcast about NPCs and and their stories and stuff like that. that sounds like yeah, a cool and I did podcast. a very long chat about Annette, so uh, yeah, I'm a great. big fan of I Annette. I enjoyed it, um, but I'm not going to recap that here. Just go listen to that. Um, I think Leon, even as a child playing this game, I was just like, "Why is this guy such an idiot?" Um, I think <laughs> I, I remember thinking, you know, why do you care about all these police rules and stuff when all this. Sh- going down like just let it go <laughs> he's especially like when, first day. yeah especially he's when trained. he's especially when he's such a good police officer he can't even get the uniform right <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it always kind of made me a bit sad for him but i do you know i like him and you know and i think particularly with his second scenario he grew on me more he keeps the cool head which i suppose you can give him credit for sherwin is right there is no barry burton in this game there isn't mm. there isn't a character like that um, but this is where I think Claire wins. Like, whereas I love Barry and he's my favourite, I guess, in the first... Like, I came to love Jill, I think, later, but everyone loves Barry. Um, there's no Barry in this game, so Claire, she, she's number one for me in this game. Um, I think the Ada stuff... Um, Ada feels far more like a plot device than a fleshed-out character <laughs> for me. Um, she's mm-hmm. fine, she's cool, like, you know, I thought she was kind of cool as well, but I just think I would have liked to get more personality from her. The, one of her big winning points, I suppose, is she does link back to the first game, which is kind of cool. Yeah, fair. Um, which is like a nice little nod. Um, I don't have too much else to say about the characters. I think um, it is amazing when you say sigh that they're you know they're all new it's yeah it's a sequel and there's no one from the first game in it like you know i i did know that but it's just when you stop and think about that that's it's such a risk and to come out with characters like claire and leon whatever you think of him uh yeah it's incredible and i think you, we touched on the layers to the stories and all the different plots going on it's all character driven it's these characters the, the zombies are kind of and the conspiracy is a backdrop umbrella is a backdrop in this and the virus it's all you know that's plot devices Mm. the stuff with sherry and leon and ada and claire and the birkin family as i've said all this character stuff love it great cast of characters uh yeah great ensemble big thumbs up what do you think of the uh bow's yes so bmw uh... bow's um now i know uh so First of all, loads of zombies, right? There's so many zombies in this game, which is incredible. Like, from a technical standpoint, and then just, you know, from a gameplay standpoint, that's really good. And they're all presented well. There's nice variations, even though there is repetition on the zombies. But it do- that doesn't really bother me, um, because some of them look so cool. You know, there's iconic mm-hmm. zombies, and that they all come that have stuck with us from this game there's there's key art for the game with those iconic zombies the police officer and um the you know the the tank top zombie uh, with the denim shorts on so they look great and although the the liquor is overused to this point i cannot think you just can't argue that it's just one of the most iconic monster creations of all time and Mm what this game does with like the pixels that it has to create these monsters is just 
yeah it's so so good and there's such a diversity in the bow's with the liquors the different types of liquors with the plants with the moth the spiders the dogs all these different ver- versions of birkin you know like maybe i mean you could maybe excuse the giant train blob because it's just a blob and it comes a bit sort of ridiculous at that point but you know you think of um you know what's the one i guess it's his second one when he's on the when you go down on the train lift like that yeah. birkin for me mm-hmm. this towering giant machamp style birkin is just <laughs> he's so hench and demonic and in this like unconventional boss arena as well where mm. it's just like a u shape or it's barely even a u it's just like it's like one line with two little ends and i love that so much so the dog birkin is also great as well and <laughs> yeah it's weird it's crazy to think they got so much into this ps1 game with the variations on the bows and i'm, I'm probably even forgetting some but they often look terrifying and i'm and mr x as well just yeah used to scare the absolute shit out of me and <laughs> yeah i'm rambling a bit but they look great and we've touched on just diversity of bows there's so many of them in here and they all do different things and special shout out to the moth yeah yes the moth which Which was which is truly pointless because how it what what it does what yeah what it does why it's there no one really knows no one really explains it but it feels so wonderful (laughs) that it's it's in there um... trapped in one of the rooms i love it because i was thinking about it when i was playing through recently i would have to like bring up the old encyclopedia or whatever from uh, our good friends at residentevilpodcast.com and look at the mythology but like that thing makes its nest in Birkin's lab sometime between him going down in the sewer and being infected and the game which is like a week or something I think so it just like turns that room into its (laughs) its little domicile at some point in that week which I just thought was really funny it's really great uh, yeah, the most adorable B.O.W. of all time. Praise the moth. Uh, Sherwin, how do you feel about the the creature roster? I mean, obviously, we already spoke about the moth. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a very good. I, I definitely echo. I definitely definitely echo you, KDB, in terms of the liquor. There's an, there's the ongoing question of what's more iconic for Resident Evil hunters or liquors, mm. and arguably it's the, arguably it's the liquor. Um, which is really impressive. Like, you know, it stands up against something which has more appearances and is something, you know, if you look at different varieties of it as as different stuff and with the exception of one of the hunters, um, it's probably cooler. Um, because it's never gonna be the frog boys. But the point is is that um Yeah, uh, in terms of the, the volume of different types of zombie, yeah, that that's fine, but you know, that they're different um it, it's fine that it's fine there are so many different zombies or it's fine sorry there are so many zombies in the game because they are the constant they are ultimately the story itself that's the whole point of it and zombies can be you know yes they're the most basic enemy but in a survival horror game depending on where you are your ammunition or whatever else maybe they're the perfect thing you need to just run away from that's the that's Mm -hmm. the key thing like the only thing you could really do to the zombies to make them more of a threat is exactly what remake does which is introduce crimson heads so it's it is something which works really 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 well in terms of yeah especially when you start thinking about the liquor and then you have evolved liquors obviously different bits and pieces like that the way that they sort of even find ways of stepping up same with the zombies and the naked zombies the way they step up the actual enemies as well into more advanced versions 
you know, they're very subtle, but they work very effectively. I can mm. I can definitely remember the first time I encountered the or you know the poison ivies. I can very much remember the first time I encountered the uh, the evolved liquor and went, huh, that's not cool. Don't like that. That's changed. <laughs> I was kind of happy when they didn't have giant scythes on their arms. Uh, yeah, di- <laughs> yeah, different different ideas like that. There's lots of different ways to introduce stuff. I love what they did. We talked about this obviously in Tear Death Experience. I love the change in the tyrant. Mm-hmm. It's it's like they took the tyrant and went right. So, how what's the next evolution of this thing? And the next evolution of this thing is a pursuer. It is something which is with you for the entire game. It becomes a much more iconic piece of what the game is, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, you know, it's not anywhere near done as effectively as what obviously remake did, but it changes the face of how you interact with that particular enemy type, um, mm. which is really really cool. Um, you know, old uh, old Billy B, he's not, he's okay. Like I've n- I never really found myself too drawn into what was going on with Birkin. Interestingly, uh, playing the game, it, their focus was always more on the actual overarching story for me. But um, I agree with you, KDB. Some of those designs are absolutely incredible. They're certainly very... Like, if you think about... A different way of looking at it. If you think about the roster of Resident Evil 2 enemies, all of them have very distinct silhouettes. All of them have very different Mm. constructs, colour schemes, whatever else you want to look at them. They're all instantly identifiable as what it is I'm fighting, what it is, you know, it it moves and, you know, I have to deal with it in different ways you can instantly identify with it you uh, identify it you can instantly understand what this creature is in terms of how it moves and so on there really there's never that point where it's a gray area where you look at it and go can't quite work out what that is there's no wibbly wobbly leech men which are just kind of like and <laughs> that's bad design for whatever reason because mm-hmm. i can't really work out what it is i'm trying to deal with here or it just looks like a mess of pixels they all look solid and for me that's perfect. Like, yeah, that's G1 Transformers. It's just perfect design. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, it's I find it hard for RE2 to compete with RE1's roster of enemies by virtue of RE1 coming first and being able to go, let's just take all the scariest animals, the things that people are most frightened of, and just make them giant. Like giant mm. snake, giant shark, giant spider, so on and so forth. Um, so... Uh, Right, yeah, absolutely terrifying. Um, (laughs) But like, I mean, I get you can also take the dog points on it because it really is just a bunch of giant animals for the most part. Um, So it kind of evens out in that way. Re two, it feels in the same way we're talking about puzzles. It feels lesser, but it also doesn't feel like anything's missing Mm -hmm. particularly. Maybe I would have chucked something new in at the lab to really throw you off instead of an evolved liquor. Personally, Um, you got ivies. Yeah, the IVs are cool, but I, yeah, I don't know. I could sort of take them or leave them. They're, they're okay. Um, for me, it's like when you look at 1.5 and they have the zombie horses and the zombie apes, that's kind of, eh, sort of boring. It's like that's kind of, you're looking at RE1 and just following the same theme. Let's just take an animal and make it a zombie version or a bigger version. Uh, really, I, I think if RE2 was missing an enemy, and I think it's perfectly fine without it, I really do kind of miss the... Uh, the old man spider. That thing's terrifying. But there you go. That's just me. <laughs> Steve, how do you feel about the BOWs? As much as I would attest that I, uh, I'm a hunter guy, you know, uh, mm. overall, uh, and the liquors are overused in the movies and everything else. Right. I think they are perfect where they are in this one. Yep. 
I think the entire enemy roster is. For a game that is literally set in a city overrun with zombies, of course you should have a shed load of zombie skins and have a shed load of zombies everywhere. You know, that, that, that meshes well with the whole zombie apocalypse aesthetic. Uh, the, the stages of Birkin's transformation always reminds me of the film The Fly and the way that you know Seth Brundle slowly becomes this horrible mutant, at least in the remake of The Fly. And I, I love it. With each skin he, ch- uh, he he drops off, it becomes something vastly more grotesque and less human. Let's go. Yeah. Um, every iterative you know, new thing, for example, like the Tyrant being the iteration of TO2, TO103, fantastic. I, I love the idea, except for maybe that the coat is his power limiter. I think that's always been stupid. Fight me. <laughs> yeah, limiter coats are dumb. And if Can you we beat- just have like, you know... And if you beat Steve, then you have to fight me afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Some just some some other cockamamie reason. I don't care what, but a a powered coat is stupid. Right. Um, IVs. I actually feel like this is one where they improved on in the remake because in this they are just plant things. They're the triffids. You know, cool. Admittedly, it's better than just vines right around a zombie. But the lethal instant death threat and falling from the ceiling. They do more with them in the remake. Uh, I am on Team Man Spider. (laughs) as to a new enemy in the lab I would have thought that would have been the perfect cap off Mm. that being said the moth is very much a callback to RE1 in my eyes as as we've already said it's just a big bug it's a big (laughs) thing which is before Resident Evil Zero ran that right to the ground it's it's weird though when you think about it because you look at the scope of where Raccoon City goes from here and how it's used in so many other entries and how much of a diverse crazy ecosystem that city truly has at this point we got off lucky (laughs) <laughs> and it and it still works pretty well, mainly because of the starring villain just changing shape every time you meet him. Yeah, for uh, sure. And there's also an alligator, I suppose. Uh, that that's there, and and that's an encounter that happens. <laughs> uh, no one's talked about G adult. I kind of like G adult. Yeah, else like G adult. I really yeah, love the, the the concept of this being like the failed mutation. Like it's. Yeah. G has tried to find a new host and it's it's failed and this is an abomination that you have to fight that's like vomiting up bugs it's so and stuff. Creepy. It's mm. disgusting. I love it. It fits so perfectly. Yeah, it's like the face hugger if the face hugger popped out of a body yeah. and then did his own thing afterwards. Yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um Bergs, how do you feel about the uh the creature roster in R2? Um, so uh I I don't think it's much of a contest, uh in terms of which is the more iconic Resident Evil uh, monster, because um, I do think it's the liquor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I say that not only because I'm thinking back and I haven't seen the movies in a while, but I don't think they put a hunter in the movies. Um, no. no, the no. liquors in the movies, like all of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And uh, I asked folks uh, who like just chatting in, in anticipation for today uh, if folks had played Resident Evil 2 before and if they had anything that they wanted like any memories that stuck out to them from that experience uh, and to a T every single one of them was like I remember um, seeing this thing fall off the ceiling of a hallway mm-hmm. and it was absolutely terrifying mm-hmm. um, and these are people who like, also followed up my question with yeah it wasn't really my thing though <laughs> but it still stuck with them yeah um, yeah. because yeah. like we talked about it earlier, that happens pretty early in in the game. So yeah, for sure, almost everybody can can get that on a run um, before giving up on the game. Uh, mm-hmm. I I do think the escalation of of monsters is fun. I mentioned that earlier. One of the things I really find really satisfying about Resident Evil Two is is how the more disbelief it asks you just to spend, the more it rewards you. 
Um, yeah. And like upon reflection of the series as a whole, I think the IVs are cool because they are an iteration on something else that you saw in the first one too. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you get the impression of having how how this game ultimately rewards you in that way. Um, again, for having played the first one because there's some deep cut references. Like they saw the plant mm-hmm. stuff and were like, okay, cool, let's keep ex- let's keep experimenting on that. And so that's a f- another further iteration on something um, mm-hmm. where they saw scientific benefit there and explored it more. The moth is cool. Uh, I think it, it's a weird. It's one of those things where I imagine they thought it was going to be more cool as they were designing it, and then like looked up what moths do, and they're like, oh well, that's. <laughs> I, they spin silk. They just kind of <laughs> hang out. <laughs> um, Leon just walks in with a light, puts it down. You know? And that's it. <laughs> You're almost putting it out of its misery. Um, the genre of monsters. Um, so many mm-hmm. monsters from that game. You can see put it, like uh, the smoker in Left for Dead is obviously like the fact that it uses its tongue um, yeah. and leaps around. Yeah. Um, just just to name one. Uh, any enemy that it, in terms of its like behavior as an enemy too. Like it, they all they were all different. Um, fascinating experience wandering into Birkin, and then depending on which, like, because you might run into different Birkins. Um, yeah. and I think how they introduce that and unfold it as you play more of it is is great. Let's... If I had any complaints, I'm Go gonna on. do this. Right, it's the way that you actually engage. Birkin is a visual concept and what he looks like, and the fact that he's got a story, a monster with a story is always oh more goodness. compelling than one without one. Mm-hmm. Is great, but the fights themselves kind of. Stand back, take a few steps, shoot. But well, it's not evolved mechanically. Resident yeah, Evil and boss fights have never yes. yeah. yeah. Exactly what you're about to say. The worst part of Resident Evil is the boss fights. Always has been, always mm. will be. Um, mm. It's just what it is. Like, It's impressive where the series has managed to get to with some of the remakes and some of the other ideas that it had um, to kind of yeah, to, to, to land where we are. And ultimately, if you're looking at this original run of three games, that's why the Tyrant and Nemesis are so interesting. Mm-hmm. But... Indeed. Uh, okay, so let's arrive at the sort of final portion, which is aesthetics. Let's talk about the visuals for Resident Evil 2. Keep in mind, it's a 25-year-old game, of course, um, but just a simple sentence to start with. I personally think that the pre-rendered backgrounds in this game still look amazing. Absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah, Bergs, how do you feel about the visual uh, design of Resident Evil 2? I love it. Oh my goodness! Uh, I started. I was playing. I was playing the game last night for for about four and a half hours, um, and just the the storytelling in in the visual mm-hmm. of the world is great because mm-hmm. like how how you can like walk down a hallway and, and the game is telling you that hallway is not important. How do you know that's not important as a player? Is because instead of a doorway there, it's just barricaded. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um thrown about the uh the hallways it, it looks like a place that is very quickly and like it it feels like a police station night right um it and then you get then you like you're it's just the opening opening few tiles of that game oh my goodness um mm-hmm. yeah for sure jesus the the that opening scene of resident evil 2 is so iconic in my brain that like i can envision just that single scene on like six platforms including the uh the tiger electronics resident evil 2 game was that first (laughs) scene like that was the that was the background special 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 shout out to that that's you can say what you want about that but that 
opening segment, especially in the gun shop, captures the the desolation of Raccoon City, that version of the game, so perfectly. Yeah. It's just silence and just nothing there. It just feels so eerie. Um, mm. Anyway, back to uh, back to the main game itself, but I really want to shout that out because it, it does capture that sense I think so very, very well. It really would be fun to do a podcast on that version mm-hmm. at some point, but we'll certainly loop back around to that. Um, I th- think that the way the graphics are and the time they came out still kind of hold up for other games in that time. Uh mm-hmm. I'm having a hard I'm having a hard time finding any anything visually I don't like about it. There's a couple of small things I think are really cool that the game does. Um mm-hmm. in that when you're walking by a zombie that's not quite dead, Leon will like look down at it as you walk past. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um helpful. That's a helpful, that's a helpful little, little tip. Uh I did know I did note a visual in thing that I thought was interesting um as I was playing it. The soda machine I played the director's cut the sorry, the dual shock version of the game and the soda machines are blank in the police station. Mm-hmm. Um, which I hadn't realized that they had done, um, which I thought was. Oh, that's I know that there was. That's because of the sponsorship, isn't it? That got pulled out yeah. in the end. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely been some some oh. stuff with that. Uh, yeah, I believe that was supposed to be Pepsi originally. It was Pepsi in 1.5, and I think it was Sprite something else, and they changed it to Coca Soda yeah. and all that. Uh, so yeah, it's a whole. A whole I thing. understood it to be that um, the logo that was on there was was close enough that Coca Cola found it objectionable. <laughs> I yeah. think that's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like I said, the pre-rendered, the whole game's pre-rendered cuts, like backgrounds, are, are all so 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 good. And to this day, they they still look great. Yeah. Um, for sure. Awesome. There is something to be said about character over realism to a certain extent. Like, it's kind of the RPD in particular is kind of a ludicrous location. It's pretty much function before logic, where it's like, oh, it's kind of like a mansion, but it's not. It's a police station, it's weird and kooky, and the backstory is, uh, it was a museum. Sure, that'll do. Um, And I actually, do you know what? That might seem silly, but it definitely serves just for a better game because of it. And Remake did some alterations that were great. I think Remake's RPD is really, really cool and it suits the game and the more realism they put it in, the tweaks they did were really, really good. But classic RPD, yeah, like, it's just got so much character. Like, the whole game is, but, you know, obviously the RPD is the sort of centre point of the game. It's got so much character in it, not just environmental storytelling, but just as a location is just... Yeah, I, I I love that place. I, it's so iconic to me that I like tried to build it in Minecraft multiple times before I was like, the geography of this is kind of questionable. <laughs> like, it doesn't actually snap together how you think it should. But there you go. Uh, Kelsey, how do you feel about the visuals for RE2? Oh, my God. I mean, you know, you said, oh, it's 25 years old. It just doesn't matter. Like, everything like you've said and Berg said, I just I agree with. It looks incredible. Uh, this is this game is just if there's ever an argument to do new games with pre-rendered backgrounds, it's here as well. You know this. Mm. Um, funnily enough, so Sherwin said something on the Code Veronica podcast, which has always stuck with me. And because you know Code Veronica was the game that sort of made, excluding Survivor, like made a jump to either no pre-rendered backgrounds or very few pre-rendered backgrounds. And Sherwin said how you just lose the storytelling and the detail that you get in these games in you know mm-hmm. one two and three and it's completely right because 
it doesn't matter that this game is old as it is, is as old as it is because all the story is there um it looks so good to this day um it's it's like an insanely good magic trick like they they had tech limitations and you know this is what they've done to deal with it and then you end up with this almost timeless video game here and it's hard to even pick a favorite area because most mm. of it just looks so damn good uh, star's office chief irons office the labs giant yeah. walkways yeah. the frozen room as you're walking up to it and the, the ice leaking out of the room there's just there is just countless points in the game where the pre-rendered backgrounds sell the idea to you and that's why this game's so effective because if they were 3d blocky 3d it would just it just i don't think it would work to be honest the storytelling wouldn't be there and yeah yeah you know these days um lighting in modern games is such a big part of creating atmosphere whereas like back in 1998 your options are kind of like turn light on or turn light off and maybe you know which means they were so limited on what they can do which is to me is why the environments and the visuals that it paints is all the more impressive um even over things like like silent hill i think sometimes looks very video gamey compared to mm-hmm. you know resident evil 2 and you know modern gaming can blow me away sometimes with its lighting and stuff but there's something about this that's it's you're you're walking through paintings and there's no gaps you know the attention to detail mm. it's all considered and i just think that yeah this i i can't sing its praises enough um you could i say if you want to pick some weak areas there's maybe a couple of rooms that are a bit bland like i think the extra areas you go with sherry and ada don't have too much going on in them but again i'm just being picky mm. here to try sure. and make myself not sound biased um (laughs) because the environments are gorgeous and then even like just the weapon designs and everything in the inventory it has all has a bright color palette as well um you know horror games can generally make stuff quite dreary and brown and dark and i've been critical of the remake for stuff like that but here doesn't need to be it's bursting with color and uses the dark tones well when it needs to and then even the character models you know these expressionless they have no fingers and they but you know the way they move it's like they're like stop motion and stop motion is just as effective as pixar you know it doesn't matter that the character models look the way they do because everything's so well done they sit in the environment so well because of the storytelling and i think the performances help the character models as well which we'll maybe touch on a bit yeah for in a sure. minute but yeah just huge thumbs up it stood the test of time 25 years and these pre-rendered backgrounds really sell every single idea that the game is trying to give you and yeah you can't (laughs) i can't fault it i really can't i would be very interested in a way to get someone who's never played re2 before to sit down with the game like when you say the stars office if I was playing this game for the first time, I would spend so much time in just in that room. Just mm-hmm. there's so much to look at and just sort of take in. Aside, like obviously on top of that, the fact that it's like, oh, this is Barry's desk. You can tell because it's got weapons here and oh, Chris's jacket in the back and that kind of stuff. But like, even if these were just total strangers, like all these little things littered around to sort of take in, it's really interesting to me. But yeah, the only I think the only location that really suffers visually. Is the sewer, I guess, but sewers sewer. are kind of yeah. sewers are kind of boring and everything. Yeah. I don't think there's any any game that's made a sewer particularly interesting, really. Um, but beyond that, even the major locations like the RPD and like the lab, pretty, maybe the lab lesser, especially the RPD. 
every hallway is interesting to me. Yeah. Like the hallway outside the stars office is just like a big grey hallway. But the way that it's framed just looks great. Like it's just iconic. It's burned into oh. my brain. Commenting on the stars office real quick, the the Chris's jacket is even a deep cut reference. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, that's extra rewarding to somebody who put a lot of time into Resident Evil One. Mm-hmm. Mm, for um, sure. No, I, I I love that room. I love it in the remake too. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, Steve, how do you feel about the way that Biohazard Two looks? Well, I think everyone's already touched on the main key points, right? Like you know how how it looks stellar and has aged fairly well. Uh, character models are, you know, highly detailed blocks that we can tell what they're meant to be and what they're trying to get their point across as. Mm. Uh, I think they animate, you know, particularly Birkin's an- an- transformation animations and stuff animate really, really well. Um, I would argue that the the only visual down point now really is artifacting and stuff. On like, you know, when I was playing mm. the the PS One version through the PS Three re- uh, for you know as a refresh for we play this. And I would say that the backgrounds have artifacted a fair bit. Um, so I wonder how you go about... Like, I mean, the HD project obviously upscales it, but there has to be a line between what is considered too nice. Yeah, almost. I you. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I need to have a consistent visual tone that is somewhere, somewhere in my mind's eye and too nice can't cut it. So it's, it looks that acceptable level of poo. it's completely Uh, fair Steve sorry to jump in I'm just going to say that is so I completely agree and I think Steve is right Uh, yesterday and today I played it on a CRT and it looks incredible so you don't get the artifacting but it's such a fair point Mm. Uh, I'm going to I can't believe I'm about to say this I'm going to defend at least one room in the sewers as being actually not pointless and bland and it's the, the room where Hunk's team is scattered around there's like bullet holes in the walls. You know, yeah. There's a story yeah. actually in that room. Other ones kind of rubbish, and the ones you lead into are rubbish as well. But, you know, aside from that, okay. Uh, <laughs> actually, other than that, I think everyone else has hit all the points I want to say. So, yeah, it just looks good. Artifacting's a bit rubbish, though. <laughs> I played my recent playthrough on the GameCube version, and I had to go into the options and turn the brightness way up. Because it did, it don't, like that port is a little bit ropey on those kind of things. It was perfectly fine once I'd done that, but it was kind of like this is weird that I have to do this, unfortunately. So, yeah, it's, uh, it'd be nice to get like a lush version that doesn't go too far with neating it up, just makes it just pop it out a little bit more. Yeah, make it look nice, but not like you know so nice, nice it's now in an art gallery. Just, <laughs> just... right. Uh, yeah, we have talked a lot about visuals, but Sherbin, any any last points on visuals? Uh, I mean, everyone has already touched on it. This game is a masterpiece. Um, mm-hmm. It's worth a, a small bit of shout out to I think, in terms of the the changes to the visuals of like menu screens and stuff like that, it's really really yeah. nice. Yeah, um, it's worth shouting those things out. Uh, choice for the title screen being the eye, really really nice. Um, I think the the key point for me, and this is perhaps a little bit visuals, a little bit gameplay. Um, is the level design is good in terms of how how the uh, RPD building goes around in circles, so it's easy to kind of find different routes to get to where you want mm-hmm. to or whatever else. Um, and that I think is an important key point. But yeah, I mean you're right. The and the really interesting comparison for me is I actually quite liked, as in really liked, the way that uh, 1.5 presented the RPD building. I really liked that feel for the RPD building. And I feel you could introduce character to it with that kind of visual. Mm-hmm. But this stands out so much more. It looks more lived in. Yeah. It looks more populated. And I get that 
isn't how it would work because yeah granted i haven't spent much time police buildings if any but the point is is that i imagine they're not kind of like you know they're, they're obviously not cluttered i imagine you've got clean hallways and whatever else right but if you were to look at another game which is comparative of the time dino crisis that has very clean hallways that has very um open areas it's not as iconic to play through as much as i really do love that game like actually understanding what the areas are, the storytelling just isn't there as much. The most you're ever going to get is a corpse or some blood splats up against like up against a wall or something along those lines. There's so many small details. There's so much emergent narrative coming out of those uh, coming out of those pre-rendered screens. Um, yeah, absolute brilliance, like mm. literal brilliance. Um, which leads us nicely onto the part that I hopefully you'll forget, which is music. <laughs> no, but, certainly I was literally about to say. Since you're here, Sean, would you like to start talking about the audio of the game, sound effects, voice acting, and of course the soundtrack? Okay, so sound effects, you know, they're they're very much what you would expect. I think there are some truly grisly, um, appropriately bubbly, visceral wet noises <laughs> for various different things, like yeah, you know, that you may not expect, like a uh, like eyelids opening or whatever else, or mm. yeah, you know, pe- people die in spectacular fashions. There's appropriate amounts of uh, of gun splats and so on and gunshots sound exactly as they should which is all good um you know doors sound appropriately weighty when they fall down or grates or whatever else so that's all good um yeah voice acting is is definitely solid you know, yeah granted there's a couple where you go mm, okay this is slightly showing its age now but not really mm. in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things um you know we'll take out the actual dialogue itself and just look for who the voice actors are yeah that all kind of works soundtrack and and this is an interesting point about about the visuals because for me the the really interesting comparison is is if you're to look at resident evil 2 now uh, the remake and then look at the original resident evil 2 there's a really interesting point where we've crossed over to in terms of this is how you make a survival horror game now and that is scary to people versus this is Mm. what you did back in the day there's this you know Resident Evil 2 creates this idea, whether you realise it or not, where you are running from Oasis of Light to Oasis of Light. And that's kind of how it works. And, you know, there is a soundtrack playing in the background. That's how it gives it a sense of eeriness. That's how it gives it foreboding. That's how it does anything else. Now, you find yourself going, we can literally have rooms that are black, or they are flickering lights, or they are whatever else. And they're not like the Doom flickering lights, which is pretty much the only thing that existed around that time. They are, Mm. you know, something that feels much more atmospheric. And the answer is, there's no audio. It makes it maybe a sinister rumble, very, very low, almost imperceptible kind of rumble. Mm. There's no audio, because that's what gives you the suspense or whatever else, like that moment of holding your breath, nothing is happening. By comparison, Resident Evil 2 creates music which feels like it sets the scene. The soundtrack is probably one of the strongest characters in the game. Mm. And that's the, that's the best way I've got to describe it. Um... It's arguably the best Resident Evil soundtrack. That's hard because I really like RE3 as well, but it's it's really 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 good. And yeah, I th- I think this is from a this is from a golden age of of video game soundtracks. Which mm. quite frankly, if you were to ask people what are your favorite video game soundtracks, I imagine you know a healthy dose of them are from this period. Because it's that perfect bit where video game soundtracks had to, you know, could really step up. Now they've actually got far less compression than they used to have on the new generation of consoles. 
but also they had to do so much legwork because everything else was kind of there but not quite ultimately you are controlling a collection of cardboard boxes running around with a face painted on it you know they need to <laughs> kind of give that per- that slight moral motive connection to someone it can't afford to just be silent and wait for eeriness yeah it's it's yeah I mean let's put it this way for me one of the biggest disappointments of last year is when I put RE2 remake onto my PS5 that I couldn't play with the original soundtrack on it anymore and that made <laughs> me very sad um, because I don't like playing RE2 in any form without the soundtrack mm. literally that so. yeah I mean obviously I did the and now that's what I call about remake too so I've got my opinions on that soundtrack out there it's a totally different beast to the original and Showing you and I are quite similar, and I'm sure we're not alone on this panel or listeners to people that will just listen to this soundtrack out of joy, out of relaxation. The music's like home. It shouldn't be. It's spooky, you know, and horrible, but, you know, that comes hand in hand with nostalgia. And it's because it's so good that I can just listen to it in a vacuum. But in context, it's incredible. Like, not just as pieces of music, but also for setting scenes and for raising the hair up on your neck. You know, we talked about it when we did the Now episode for this. You know, the clattering sounds in the, the a part of the music in the background and that kind of stuff. Yeah, like I joked on Twitter before you recorded that after every heading, I just put perfect as my note. I literally have for, I have for the audio. It is, this is simply a perfect soundtrack. Um, I defy anybody to find a better sound, tr- a better audio track than Marshall, either of the Marshalling Yard tracks. They're anybody. right up there. I love they, First the Floor best. as well. Fantastic. Uh, and, you know, I've said it before, but that it has this light motif running through it. You know, it's so... It's just... People will say, and we all know that it's stupid, that people will just go, ah, video game music is just a bunch of beeps and bloops, isn't it? But this is so far punching above that level. Yeah. Like you don't need it's. It didn't need to be this. Yeah. It's like the meme. You don't need to go this hard, yeah. but it does. Like it, we could do five more episodes of now. That's what I call survival horror on just on RE2, and I could do. I'd be on every single one, and I wouldn't get bored of it. I love this soundtrack dearly, um, Steve. This soundtrack does something that I know you love. That I noticed uh, on my recent retread. There are so many pieces of music on this soundtrack that only play like once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go it's off. A, it's scene setting stuff, and I, it, it's it's a strong like. I feel like in, in terms of tone between this and RE three, this is the one that's the most B movie in a horror sense, and it fits so well. It's so so strong. Like, you know, you, and then you got like your big like motif scenes, like you said. Uh, with like your know, Birkin's boss theme being da 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 and then every other thing has like a variation on that. Mm. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. yeah, and you only hear them like once or twice, and then you've got like Sherry's theme, Ada's theme. Some of these like soundtracks are like exclusive to certain scenarios as well, which is crazy. Yep. Um, I want to because we're all like singing its praises. I have to like come in the defense of the one time remake two had a better soundtrack. And, you know, this is not a new Marks Against Remake 2 or RE2 proper, but it did hunk a lot more justice. Because in this, that yes. one is kind of like the wet fart of the band. Yeah, fair. Uh, if you want to hear the, the full in-depth discussion about me, Cy's already said it about 40 times, but now that's what I call survival horror. Me and Cy really went deep on this, and I feel like I want to give the room to everyone else. 
that's completely fair. I just wanted to shout that bit out for you because I know you you absolutely love that kind of stuff. And again, me playing through doing Leon A, Claire B, like there was mm. a bunch of tracks that I never get to hear because I don't play the game that way. Like there's one when you encounter Sherry again just before you get on the train car to go to the lab. There's a piece of music that plays there. And I I don't know the last time I heard that piece of music. It's, there's a bunch of stuff that is not like as part of the quote-unquote soundtrack. Like the stuff in cutscenes and one some of these like one-off occurrences in uh, just single playthroughs that I just forgot about because they're not part of your your average YouTube playlist or the Spotify release of the soundtrack. Then I'm like, gee, yeah, I completely forgot about this. Not to mention the fact that I played Extreme Battle for the first time ever last night. Yeah. I was like, oh, there's a bunch of cool music in this still. You know, I think that's got some 1.5 tracks in there. I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Yeah, um, Bergs, how do you feel about the audio for RE2? It was I. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's obviously um, perfect in every way, shape, and form. Um, again, just thinking of how some of the sound cues in this game lead to sound cues in, in games going forward to today. Mm-hmm. Um, like, walking into... Because of how the game is structured, like, you walk into a room and the first thing you have to do is wait a minute to see if you hear any zombie shuffling or hear any moaning happening. Right. Yeah. Um, it's the, the, for me, it's the liquor breaths. That, oh, that yeah. Forever, right? Yeah. yeah. Rattly inhale. It's iconic. Yeah. Um, God, it's just, I mean, you all have said it. You all have said everything there is to be said about it. It's, it's absolutely perfect. The soundtrack slaps in every capacity. Um, sound it's how it's executed. Like, yeah, y'all, y'all did it. Y'all done. Like, said the good thing. You're talking about sound effects and stuff, though, Bergs. Like creature sounds in this are pretty, pretty fantastic, especially for the era. Absolutely. Got, like, you know, so much character in zombies that are just literally groaning, uh, and then mm-hmm. the liquor breathing, which gets carried through. I think generationally, I think it makes it as far as like Umbrella Chronicles liquors. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that, that's pretty neat. It's so cool. Um... And you think about other games at the time and how they use sound. I, I think of um, Symphony of the Night, which came out a year before this game did, mm. um, which obviously uses sound in, in, a, in a great way. The soundtrack is legendary there as well. But in terms of like environmental sound design, there's not really any of that happening in Symphony. And um, I, mean, I guess, but it's it's not the same thing. This this game did it. Yeah. And, and then the games that after every game afterward try, again tried to trace this dragon. Mm. We haven't really talked about the voice performance too much. Any thoughts on on the voice acting? Are you asking me to dive off from that point? Um, yeah, go for it. We can keep going around. Sure. Uh, voice acting is fine for the era. It's it's better than Resident Evil One. Um, mm-hmm. Not as good as Metal Gear Solid. Um, yeah, it's fair. You know, in, in, there's not there's not a lot. There's, there's some happening around this time. Uh, I don't remember when Fear Effect came out. Fear Effect I had voice acting too. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think that's after Silent Hill One, so it's yeah. after RE Two and maybe RE Three's era. Um, so it's it's up there, but it's still mm. 1996, and it's like it's 1996. Um, it was localized at that time, so like there's that level of it too. And the the content that it's spoofing is also from the '80s, so like yeah. '80s and early '90s. So like for photo, it is it's it's fantastic, but it is still what it is. Mm. I think um, 
show and I think it was you that sort of hit the nail on the head for me with the performance in the sense that none of these characters just sort of stand around waffling too much they pretty much deliver what you need to know and move on um, so that's great the writing is great in that sense I'd certainly agree that it's pulling from the 80s and stuff like that so there's some cheese in it um, performance wise it's pretty pretty good like it really ranges mm. I think from really great still to the odd little bit that's like yeah not so much some of it feels a little bit awkward especially during uh some of the fmvs i find feels a little awkward um but yeah allison and paul as claire and leon uh yeah i mean that's iconic again um gary crawford as irons i mean i already said how great irons is and his performance is a big part of that i think rod wilson gonna throw that name out there the secret mvp of the game not only does he play officer tell you the whole story of the first game he has a great performance as kind of a bag ben bertolucci sarcastic sort of new yorker and the narrator as well i like there's to me he's like an unsung voice hero of this Mm -hmm. game but there you go uh kelsey how do you feel about the audio top to bottom yeah the the voice acting is really good um people you know resident evil is a bit of a meme with the voice acting not with this game like re2 it's good it's good for the time and it's still not yeah. too it's not too bad now honestly like the dialogue at times is kind of thin on the ground and straight to the point but as you've said it does what it needs to do and i think yeah claire and leon voice actors in particular are both really really strong yeah big big fan of it and that's it's weird that's something that only since thinking about the podcast and stuff i wanted to talk about when i was playing it in the last kind of 24 hours i was like yeah the voice acting is really good in this game so yeah it was better than i even remembered playing it you know last year so i don't want to hear a bad word said about it (laughs) um um, i'll kind of keep the rest simple like you know you've all sort of touched on it the soundtrack is amazing um it's my favorite soundtrack in the franchise front hall save room leon with claire marshalling yard second malformation of g escape from the lab all of these tracks are going to be with me to the day I die. And, yes. you know, they experimented and just upped the ante from the first game. Just absolutely outrageously good for a video game. And Berg's mentioned Metal Gear Solid. That did the same sort of stuff with music and voice acting. You know, mm. RE2's doing it here as well. All the horror influences, John Carpenter and stuff, it's rife. But then we just even get so much melodic stuff, which makes it so easy to listen to like you know with Sai, you and i did the re4 soundtrack recently on now that's what <laughs> i call survival horror and that's not something you make a habit of listening to to chill out you know <laughs> this soundtrack yeah. you can listen to it's so easy listening for want of a better phrase um mm. yeah it's uh just knocks all the right notes makes the experience unforgettable it it, it anytime you hear the pieces of music you can instantly visualize the locations and yeah yeah nothing else to say really i've spoken at length about front hall and the save room theme on other <laughs> fast stuff so yeah just gonna say the soundtrack is awesome and and sound effects are awesome you, i was going to talk about the liquor as well but you've already done it it's yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> five out of five for the soundtrack and sound i'm going to say one last point on the music um that is sentimental to the point of perhaps silliness but that's okay we're arriving at conclusion so it's time for some patented sci hyperbole mm-hmm. um <laughs> i think that if i was ever presented with uh yes you can continue playing resident Evil 2 as much as you like but you there's no audio for the rest of your life you, you just can play it with no audio or alternatively you never play the game again but you can listen to the soundtrack as much as you like the soundtrack 
it has such a piece of me that I think I would go for that latter option. Mm. Like I have, I mean, I've played this game to death. So like I have all those warm memories that come with that soundtrack. But if you, if, if I had to play the game without this audio, as much as I can say how perfect a game it is, yeah, I'll take the soundtrack. Mm. You know, at this point, I would. Mm. I, I want that forever. That is going to be, you know, that as you've so rightly put, with me till the day I die. And that brings us perfectly to final thoughts on Resident <laughs> Evil 2 1998. <laughs> Steve, is Resi 2 a good game? I feel like it's a good game. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? It's because, <laughs> uh, I've said before, like uh, elsewhere, this is like my number three best game of all time ever. Mm. Uh, it's certainly my favourite Resident Evil game. And it, it's probably not a ring endorsement to say it's probably one of the most cosiest games ever. I just want to like sit down, have a quiet <laughs> evening and relax. Relax with a survival horror game. It's this one. Uh, it's just nostalgia drips all over me. Okay, I will like ignore any small flaws and just gorge myself on this thing. Uh, it, I personally think it's got one of the best stories in a Resident Evil game. It's got one of the best soundtracks, some of the best enemies. It, it feels like it's pure empowerment on steroids, <laughs> and you know, Hunk's there too. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's it's amazing when you think about it. I mean, I, 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 there's there's a part of the back of my mind that wants to say all the best Resident Evil games start from failed experiments, like 1.5, like 3.5. Mm. And this this starts the trend. It's also best on system. Like you know, if I had to choose between like this Metal Gear Solid or Tekken Three, it's this every time. So system seller. It, there's a reason why it's got a legacy, mm. and it lives up to its its infamy. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, Bergs. Aside from the terrible story, what do you think of Resident <laughs> Evil Two? I don't think I cared for it very much. Um, <laughs> absolute <laughs> game. Like, I absolutely hated the storyline. Completely cardboard cutout characters. Why don't they just go ahead and, and let's just go ahead and watch Robocop, y'all? Um, uh, no, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, I absolutely love this game. It's it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, I I can I, I stand for where, where I'm in my. You know, 25 years later place and being like yeah you know it's kind of like there are games that are more fun to play now um, for me specifically um, but for a game that came out when it did it, it literally is genre defining platform defining um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very 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 good <laughs> I like it succinct <laughs> Kelsey, final thoughts, RE2, go. Okay, let's take a breath. <clears throat> <laughs> so like, I've tried, I've really tried my best to not sound like, you know, some toxic, toxic nostalgia-infused fanboy tonight. But, like, I honestly believe Do it. so much of what I've said. You know, I believe in the authenticity of what I'm saying. And, you know, I, I've played this game many times in my life, in recent years, and before the podcast, and it's still hitting all the notes that I've talked about tonight, that everyone's talked about. Um, and a few of you have used the the P word uh, during this episode. Now, I've been holding off because I kind of wanted to just, for it to have its place in my conclusion. And, you know, you, you see these memes online about what is a 10 out of 10 game? What is a perfect game? And I think sometimes we can often try and be a bit too cool and say, oh, you know, nothing's perfect because... 
you know, this one thing over here wasn't a perfect aspect, so it can't be a perfect game. And it's just, we're scared to use that terminology when describing these things because people like to argue. And mm. I'm not hesitant to say it, like, this is a perfect game. Um, I think all the key aspects we've all talked about today just have such big strengths that, and it knocks it out of the park in so many different ways that there's no question that it's a perfect game. Any little flaw, like Steve said, it doesn't matter. It just gets trumped by all the good stuff. Um, mm. The story, the gameplay, the visuals, all in the context of the era it came out, and then even when playing it today, it just still feels as strong as it did. And I think, you know, Resident Evil 1 was a turning point for me in gaming, and Resident Evil 2 just turned things even more. Uh, it's it's my favourite game of all time. Um, it's the best game in the Resident Evil series for me. Uh, I've loved many things about many of the other RE games that came after it in the franchise, but, you know, Berg said it earlier, this is the dragon that the series has been chasing ever mm. since, and it it will never hit these heights again for me. And I think we could talk about it for days. I could talk about it for days. It's not possible for me to come away from this podcast feeling like I've done the game justice, but, yeah, you know... Yeah with this game in my opinion the stars aligned it's a sequel that's better than the original it's better than anything that came after it and yeah it'll never be topped yeah i mean it's hard for me to disagree with any of those points certainly um i i've already said it before it's my favorite resident evil game of all time i'm shocking i know um it's also yeah it's my favorite game of all time so yes this was going to be a very biased podcast and you can't kind of escape the nostalgia with it it's been hugely important and informative for me um and <laughs> it's always been there you know like mm. when i need like that moment to myself i'm gonna isolate myself from all the bull of the world I'm going to isolate myself in the RPD. And Steve, you're right. Weirdly, it's a it's a it's a survival horror comfort game uh, that I'm still playing all these years later. Literally, when we're done with this, I'm going to go and play some more Extreme Battle because, again, I can't believe I've never played it before, and I'm having a great time, which is lovely to have like a new experience with this game. Um, yeah, it, it <laughs> nothing will ever top it for me personally. Um, this is the most loving fest ridiculous episode for me um it was gonna i think we've done we've done okay but <laughs> i'd like to think that most people listen to this generally a lot of people are gonna agree that it is the big p word which is puzzles obviously is what you mean right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's it's perfect showing final thoughts on resident evil 2 resident evil 2 is an incredibly special game it's a game which, in a roundabout way, is the reason why we're all sitting here talking about it. Mm -hmm. It's Absolutely. the reason. It's a, it's a game that, for me especially, has a very, very special place in my heart because of what it has enabled me to do in my life. Mm -hmm. um, more than any other Resident Evil game, uh, this one has literally grabbed my life by the whole... Uh, I'm literally... This isn't hyperbole, by the way. It sounds this way, but it's genuinely not. Um, from, it, it literally grabbed my life you know, by the horns, completely twisted in a random direction, sent me spinning off into 
completely different concept of, of who I of you what I do and who I am and so forth. Mm. And for that, I will always be eternally thankful that I spent so many hours ploughed into this game and found such affection, such love for it. Um, I've said before that the most the best Resident Evil game is Resident Evil One Remake. On any given day, this could be better, mm-hmm. depending on what mood I am in. Mm-hmm. Literally, that like that's, and I don't say that lightly because Resident Evil One Remake is is a perfect game, and yep. this is too. Um, to use your still your language, uh, <laughs> KDB. It's yeah. I think this this is a game which, for me, if I if I think. I don't know. I, I can. I mean, when I first got the gig to make a board game of this, I literally, within the space of, you know, the moment I could sit down at a desk, just drew out every single one of the maps. Went right. This is all of the maps for the entire game. This is where all the enemies appear. This is all the items. This is exactly where you find them all. This is where yeah. You know, this is where they are. This is what this game could look like. Literally in the space of like, as soon as I found a desk, just wrote <laughs> it all down from memory. Um, like that's how ingrained this game is into my head. If I were to close my eyes, I could think of any one of the music tracks, think of any one of the enemies with absolute accuracy. And I haven't even picked the game up for like a few years because I don't necessarily need to. Like mm-hmm. I appreciate probably should have prepared for this game by you know for this podcast by playing the game a bunch of times. Didn't need to because I've played it so much. Yeah. I literally know it like the back of my hand. This is Resident Evil 2 is an incredible achievement as a game. It's it is genre defining. It's groundbreaking in terms of its scope. It's it is perfect, and none of us should be ashamed for gushing over how good this game is, or how influential this game is, or the fact that we're all sitting here talking about this, because ultimately, Resident Evil Two is, yeah. I would say it's the best game ever made if Vagrant Story didn't exist. <laughs> that's that's, that's well, no, that's that's the highest praise I could probably give anything. Yeah. To be fair, so so you know that that's a, a close second. <laughs> well, it's done. We have achieved it. Well done, everyone. We managed to get through the long-awaited Resident Evil 2 podcast. Nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors, our patrons, and our listeners. Join the First Aid Spray Discord server to become part of our community and hear the show early and unedited. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. All of these links and all of our content can be found at fasprayPod.com. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcasting apps. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review you where you can and spread the good word don't forget you can support the show by picking up some merchandise or at patreon.com forward slash fa spray pod for as little as one dollar a month in our next episode we follow mrs redfield from raccoon to Rockfort, from video game to novelization it's the penultimate episode of book club and it's time for st perry's take on code veronica thank you to the panel you can follow all of the pueblo people individually i'm at signiac underscore one two three steve is at fb steve was taken sherman is at sherwin's Gender. Kelsey is at K underscore D underscore B underscore and Burger is at its Burger Time. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. Happy, happy you haven't played the original. 
And he's not. Oh, we should have done that. Oh, for you're so real. sad. Instead of playing bloody Final Fantasy Stranger of Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine, by the way. It's it's a fine. It's an okay game. <laughs> chaos, 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 chaos. Yeah, and then chaos, he says, chaos, chaos. there's that bit where he goes bullshit and then plays music on his phone and walks off, and we all laughed. <laughs> chaos, 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 chaos. It's a bit like a Sonic game then. So, uh, so what? Uh, this uh, this extreme battle stream then. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, let Let's me just put my GameCube up. What are you talking about? If I could, mm-hmm. if I could just stream from my TV, that'd be great. But mm. you're about to say KDB. I was just going to say, just while we've recorded the entire time I've had on my TV, I've had a playthrough of Claire A and Leon B <laughs> playing. It's just started Leon B. Um, (laughs) so what you're saying is we got two more hours to do yeah yeah but it's funny because just while i was talking while everyone was talking it's amazing actually how much of what was being said synced up with what was on my screen it's actually quite creepy uh yeah that was an awesome i've not not done that before i I listen to some podcasts where they like play the game as they're talking about it like i've never done that but i thought just to set the mood i'm just going to have it playing on the tv (laughs) which was, yeah, that was an interesting experience. I just thought everybody did incredibly well, by the way. I don't know how... Yes, well done, everyone. You know, talking about that game almost feels redundant in a weird way, because mm. it's, it's so great. But everybody, yeah, you all touched my heart, so thanks for that. 